Omega Man Radio has been commissioned to invade deep into enemy territory, drive out the hosts of hell, and take back the land. Our mission is to preach Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the only name written under heaven by which men might be saved. Cast out demons and pray for the sick that they may be healed in Jesus' name. If this program is a blessing to you and you would like to take part in this harvest of men's souls, join with us and attack the hosts of hell by donating any amount online at www.omegamanradio.com. Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, I can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening. You're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. Tonight is a live program. Today is Tuesday, November the 2nd. And this will be my special honor to have Michael Bolday on tonight. Michael Bolday is chairman of Hand of Help Ministries. And uh, what a testimony he has. He's going to be sharing it tonight. Uh, he's been preaching since age 12 when he would uh, go on the road with his grandfather, Dimitri Dudeman. And uh, God would send them all across the United States and international with... Um, words of warning, testimony, and um, just a powerful, powerful ministry. And we're going to go into some really hard questions tonight that many people are asking. Um, how do we endure till the end? And what is uh, ahead for us here in America? Is it uh, end game? And we're going to even open up the lines tonight if you'd like to talk to Michael. The uh, call number tonight will be area code 917 889 2745. Again, 917-889-2745. Or the toll-free number for people that long distance is 877-806-2482. And uh, the website, uh, for those of you listening online, would like to follow along with uh, the show tonight, is going to be handofhelp.com. That is the official website of Hand of Help Ministries of Michael Boldea. And before we bring him on, I want to... Um, just make an announcement. We have uh, officially launched on WWCR uh, shortwave on Sundays at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and we just cleared some time today on American Voice Radio Network Satellite. Uh, we'll be starting there uh, Sunday, 7 p.m., in addition to the regular blog talk show. So I want to praise God for the doors of opportunity here, and thank everybody who has uh, supported Omega Man Radio. And without further ado, let's get Brother Bolde on the line. Brother Michael, how are you tonight, my friend? I am doing well. How are you? Brother, I get, always get a little bit nervous when I uh, bring on guests with powerful anointings. 
And uh, well, then you, know, you, then you have no need to be nervous tonight. <laughs> well, no, uh, I tell you, we have never met in person, but you know, I've known you since about uh, 2005. So, you know, we're old friends, and uh, you know, it's just an honor and a pleasure finally to have a program, and I can bring you on myself. But um, Michael, before we get started tonight, um, would you honor us by opening up with prayer? That I can do. Thank you, brother. We come before you, dear Heavenly Father, and ask you to give us wisdom, and ask you to give us grace, and ask you to humble our hearts and fallow our hearts, that we might believe your words over the words of men, that we might understand the times that we're living in, and that we might act appropriately. We ask you to speak your words and not ours. We ask you to give us unction, and we ask the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. And... um... Michael, again, it's a pleasure to have you on tonight. I want to tell you something. I'm not just trying to build you up here. I know it's Jesus Christ in you, but I will tell you something. Um, Looking at a lot of the ministers and ministries over the years, you know, many have come and gone. Uh, Many, you have no idea what they're preaching or why they're preaching it these days because there's so much compromise in the church. But I'll tell you, it, uh, it is refreshing to know that there are some standards out there. And uh, you're one of those standards. Uh, you're you're one of a few that uh, I will tell you, brother, that uh, lifts me up when I'm down, and I can tune in and listen to uh, your programs and read your articles. And it's refreshing to know that uh, there's someone out there still holding the line for Jesus Christ, my brother. Well, I, I without compromise. That. I, I guess I guess I'm just stubborn. Uh, but you know, <laughs> it, com, com, compromise leads to death. This is what so many don't understand. Uh, whether in, in Christian leadership or just lay people, compromise leads to death each and every time. And I, I grew up in an environment where I learned not to play games with God. Either I'm wholly committed to God, either His Word is on my lips day and night, either I am striving every single day for righteousness and holiness, or I walk away completely. This, this, this one foot in the world and one foot in the church doesn't cut it with God. The lukewarm, he will spew out of his mouth. And, and, and this is something that isn't preached anymore because it's offensive and it's intolerant, but it's the truth. You know, the, the standard has to be the Word of God. And if my message contradicts God's Word, don't listen to me. If my message contradicts the message of the Bible, then, then, then call me a heretic and turn me off. But if my words are the word of God, if my words speak what the Bible say, then you have no choice either to rebel against the word of God or submit to it and repent and return to God. That's it. Amen, brother. And Michael, uh, what I'd like to do is uh, go ahead and uh, give out um, your ministry contact info, please, uh, your, uh, your website again, and also... Uh, please let uh, everybody know uh, where they can tune in and start watching the uh, the new television program that you're doing. Uh, well, uh, you can contact us at handofhelp.com. That's that's always up there. And right now, uh, the television programs, I have no idea what networks they're on. I know that that's horrible of me to say. I, I believe you're on the Christian Television Network, which is uh, let's see, was part of the, the it's one of the TBN holdings, I believe. Um, uh I have no idea. All, all I do is record them and, uh, you know, study them and flesh them out. And uh, they can find some of them on the website. We we have we put them on there for free, and people can watch them and uh, get get an idea of what the program is. I know we're uh, we're on a couple stations. I just don't know what. I know that sounds horrible, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm I'm not one of those guys. I if God 
you know, said tomorrow, you know, you're done, I release you, I'm gone. Uh, because I, I, I serve at God's pleasure. I don't do it to build my own kingdom. I don't do it to build a, a ministry of any kind. The money that comes in goes to feed orphan kids. So, you know, if God releases me, then I'm released. I'm, I'm done. Uh, but as long as he has me here, then I, I need to focus and concentrate on his word and on preaching the gospel and not uh, any of these other futilities and foolishnesses that, you know, so so easily uh, distract us from the truth. Brother, praise God for that statement right there. And, uh, folks, you can go to handofhelp.com, and there is a link over there, I believe, that will uh, show you where you can watch Michael on TV. You know, I'm praising God, Mike, that um, the Lord opened the door to put you on national TV. You know, that was always my prayer. I said, God, you know, there's some ministers out there that um, have the true word of God. They've got the message that people need to hear and that will change their lives forever for the better. But I said, they're not getting on national television. You know, Satan is very well funded and has funded his people out there. And I said, God... We need to see the true men of God and ministries get up on there. I'm talking Hand of Help, Michael Balday. I'm talking Dr. Jonathan Hanson, World Ministries International. These two programs that I just mentioned are two, Mike, that I have been following for a long time. I've been uh, reading your articles. I've been um, watching the videos that I could, and I said, you know, God, get them up on national TV. So I know that God opened the door for you, and praise God. Um, you're up there I went out in what I'll call enemy waters. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and, and it, it's always surprising, the reactions and the feedback that we get from people. Uh, they don't know where to place me. Uh, we, we had somebody call in thinking I was a Catholic because I preached on repentance <laughs> so much, uh, and, and, and they, they, they haven't heard it, and, and it, it saddens me to a certain extent, and it frightens me because it's, it's the core gospel message, repent and believe in Christ. And yes. if you've been in church for a dozen years, if you've been in church for two years, and you haven't heard a message on repentance, and you haven't heard a message on, on the necessity of Christ in your life, and you've only heard about self-esteem and self-empowerment and all this other nonsense, walk away. You're being murdered. Your soul is starving. Your spiritual man is dying of hunger, and you don't even know it. You know, the gospel message has always been the gospel message. It's just people found it easier to compromise it. People found it easier to twist it. And the flesh loves to hear, you know, stuff like prosperity and never having to suffer for the cause of Christ and never having to endure to the end because I raised in church, hallelujah, I'm safe forever, fire insurance is in place. And, and what they don't realize is that it's not biblical, and some people just don't care that it's not biblical. Others are ignorant of the fact that it's not biblical. And if you're ignorant of the fact that it's not biblical, get into the Word of God for yourself. You know, I, I, I encourage people to read the Bible rather than listen to me. Because I don't like spoon-feeding people. I, I preach the Word of God because God called me to it. If he called me to go and sweep somebody's church, I'd be sweeping a church right now. It doesn't matter what service God has me in as long as I'm obedient to his calling. But I, I would prefer that people get into the Word of God for themselves and seek out and search out these truths. If you knock, God will open. If you ask, God will give you. But you need to have the desire to know him. You need to have the desire to be intimate with him. We, we've been playing church and we've been playing God, and Christianity has become a farce in our generation. And what we're hearing from pulpits isn't really preaching anymore because it's, it's not about Jesus anymore. It's about us and how we can save our finances and 
grow rich and all this other nonsense that is utterly useless, that is pointless when it comes to eternity. But, you know, there has to be somebody to say it, and I guess I'm just hard-headed enough to, to, to continue to cling to the Word of God. I, I have no other option. I have no other choice but the Word of God. If I stop preaching the Word of God, then I stop preaching altogether, because then I'm not doing God's bidding anymore. I'm doing the devil's bidding. Michael, that I mean, I couldn't say it any better. That's absolutely the truth. Most of the mainstream um, pastors, as they call themselves, and I don't believe that nine out of ten of them were called personally. But my point is, is they don't preach Jesus Christ. They don't talk about the blood of Jesus. They don't talk about repentance. And they don't talk about uh, hell. All they seem to want to talk about is uh, how to live your best life now. Because and that's what many... To, to be honest, I, I'm, I, I've known you for a long time, so I'm going to be honest. I'm always honest, but I'm going to be brutally honest on your show. Cause I'm Shoot straight to tonight. Amen. Uh, <laughs> the reason that people don't preach Christ, the reason that they don't preach repentance, the reason that they don't preach hell, is because it's financially unprofitable. Yes. All right, once, once you make people you know, weep, once you, you cut them to the heart with the Word of God, they're less likely to open their wallets and fill your buckets and buy you a Bentley or a Porsche or whatever else preachers are driving nowadays. And so you need to soothe them, keep them sleeping, keep them slumbering, you know, keep them in this sort of drug-induced euphoria where tomorrow's going to be better than today and the next day better than yesterday and you're never going to have to see an ounce of trouble and there's no trials on the horizon and the end times aren't here by any stretch of the imagination because if the end times were here, we'd be gone already. And, and we're teaching these things hoping that people stay asleep. And what's comforting to me is that every day we get new people that, that, that find our ministry, God leads them to our ministry, and they go, I, I've never heard this before, but it makes sense. And I said, praise God, if it makes sense, then start getting ready. Start preparing. Start building up your spiritual man. Learn to fast. Learn to pray. Learn to seek the face of God. Be on your face before Him, because endurance doesn't come in an instant. It doesn't come overnight. It's a gradual thing. You build up your spiritual man. You purpose in your heart not to conform yourself to the world or the things thereof, not to defile yourself with the things of the world, not to defile yourself with heretical teaching, but purely stand on the Word of God. And it's, it's a process, and people don't understand it. Well, if hard times come, hallelujah, Jesus will strengthen me. Uh-uh. Because, look, Hebrews 10.36, I was reading this this morning and I memorized it. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That is a huge verse. We need to realize these are the words of God, and it's huge. After you've done the will of God, after you've repented, after you've reconciled yourself unto God, do what? Endure. You need yes. to have endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Just because you've done the will of God, it, 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 it doesn't mean it's a sealed envelope and that's it, you're all done, you don't have to do anything else. Endure. So that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise, persevere, hold fast. For if anyone draws back, God's soul has no pleasure in him. This is huge, and nobody's teaching it anymore because we don't like accountability in the church. 
We don't like to be accountable for ourselves. We don't like to be accountable for our actions. We, we, we just, well, hallelujah, I raised my hand, I'm done. And so people sit under fools. I can't say it any other way. They sit under men who have come out and said they've committed adultery, they've molested boys, they've done all these things, and they still call themselves pastors and preachers. Oh, glory, we're, we're, we're praying for our preacher. Why? That's Keep right. Come out. That's Keep right. Come out. What, 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 what peace can there be between light and darkness? The Bible says from such people turn away. Nobody's turning away. We're embracing them, and the world is embracing them because they're non-confrontational and they're tolerant, and, and, and what they teach really doesn't ruffle anybody's feathers. We, Absolutely. We wake up because time is speeding by so fast, and we're seeing things coming to a head in this country and in the world. You know, I, my grandpa started preaching judgment on this country in 1984 when he first came here. And right now I'm beginning to see the things that he talked about 25 years ago, and it's scaring me because God hasn't told me, go back to Romania. I keep praying about it. I keep saying, Lord, any minute now, just you know, make sure you remember Mike's here. Uh, just say, buy a plane ticket, and I'm gone. And God says, no, stay, do the work, preach the gospel, and that's it. And so I'm here. It's almost against my will because my wife's in Romania, my family's in Romania, my heart's in Romania. And I'm here out of duty to God, and so if I'm here, I'm not going to waste my time or my life teaching a watered-down gospel or, or preaching something that's not in the Word. I, I'm going to preach the truth. Whether people love me or hate me, that's between them and God. I, I'm still going to preach the truth of God's Word because the truth is all we have to stand on. That's it. Brother, and that's why I love you, man, because there's so few that are unchanging, that are not in compromise, that you can... Uh, time your watch by them because they're the same year after year they hold to the word of god and they don't waver and they cannot they're not corrupted you know the, the reason people flock michael to the mainstream churches is because again uh, they're not being confronted with their sin and their ears are being tickled of a message of prosperity and i'm not against people being blessed folks if you're tuning in you know god god does bless people but uh, that's all that they preach and what they've done, Michael, is they have basically taken these control of these churches and they treat them as their business. And they treat them as a MLM, a multi-level marketing, for those of you who don't know that term. And they, they bring young pastors in and they teach them the same principles. Treat this as your business and you can, you can have a Bentley. Okay, and you can have your own personal Learjet. And you know what? All they do is they, they preach this lopsided message. I call it another gospel. I call it the gospel of Judas, Michael. They've sold out Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And they do it every day on the on the mainstream uh, television channels. And uh, you know what they're trying to do is uh, really prepare people to go to hell and be part of the great falling away because the Bible that I read, Michael, says it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than it is for a, uh, a camel to go in the eye of a needle. Did I say that right? Yes, it is. Uh, again, again, uh, folks, very few make it in, okay, who would be uh, termed as rich men in this life. Do you want to be uh, one of those few, <laughs> one of those that uh, have a, a very thin chance of making it into eternity? Because that's what happens with uh, riches when most people get them. Well, there is no... 
I, Go ahead, both. I, I, I look at it a little differently. To me, it's not being a, it's not about rich or poor. To me, it's about prosperity being the end all and be all of your Christianity. Yes. It's 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 about serving God so that you could get the prosperity. Then you're serving God for the completely wrong reasons. You shouldn't be serving God anyway because it, it, it's not about okay, I'm going to be good so that Jesus blesses me, you know, with a new car. You know, and that's, and that's right. the mentality a lot of people have. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to be good, and, and then God's going to give me this. No, God sent his son, and his son died upon a cross for your yes. sins. He's given you everything already. Yes. If you serve him, do it because you're compelled by love. If you serve him, do it because you're compelled by grace, not because you're hoping to get some monetary thing out of him or some material thing out of him. God gave his most precious thing already. There is nothing God can give you that will exceed what he's already given you through Christ. And this is what so many people don't understand, and I think it's like a slap in God's face. When we see the beauty of Christ revealed to us, when we see what he did for us, the Son of God come down suffering, weeping tears of blood, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, and then going to the cross because God's will had to be done and not his own. When we see all this tableau, this, this great message of salvation before us, and then we go, well, that's all great and good, but when am I going to be a millionaire? You know, when we have that mentality, we're spitting in God's eye. We're slapping him in the face. God has already given his best. And if from this day on I would be a paralytic and, and, and be bedridden for the rest of my life, just because Jesus came, just because Jesus died, and just because he forgave my sins, I would have ample reason to thank God every minute of every day for the rest of my life. This, this is what we need to understand. This is the burning desire that needs to be in our hearts, not for the things of this world, not for this present life, but for the glory of God because of what he's done for us. Amen to that, brother. I mean... Um... It, it, it's sickening. I mean, I've sat and watched uh, programs, even overseas. When I lived in uh, Panama for a while, they had a, a network called Enlace. And it was the Spanish equivalent of uh, TBN. And you would have uh, American preachers going over to these third world countries and preaching, you know, look on me. I've, I've got $10 million. You know, I'm successful. You know, God has blessed me. And, um, you know, if you're not rich like me, then there's something wrong with you. And I just wanted to almost puke. And, uh, you know, they they basically set people up, Michael, be part of this great falling away. And I want to um, remind people to the signs that would uh, fall before uh, Jesus Christ would return. You know, we all know about the, um, the wars and rumors of wars. We know about the nation rising against nation, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. And some people say, you know what, well, Jesus must be getting ready to return tomorrow. Well, folks, you've got to keep on reading. Yes, those things are going to happen. But it says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. I'm reading from Matthew 24, verse 8. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall be betray one another, and shall hate one another. Uh, Michael, before the Lord returns, the way I read this, there's going to be many people that are uh, martyred for Christ. And it looks to me like uh, we're going to be going through some persecution and tribulation, but that's not what they preach. They preach, you know, uh, all you need to do is uh, just concentrate on becoming rich here, and then one day you're going down the road and you'll be taken up, uh, and we'll escape all this persecution and tribulation here in America. 
And, you know, the Bible doesn't say that, as I know you you agree with me on that. And um, a great falling away has got to happen first. So who's going to be part of the great falling away, Michael? It's got to be someone who is already there. Well, believe that's talking the American church. Well, first, 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 let's go back a little bit because this is this is the mentality of this present generation. What you know? I thought Jesus suffered so I wouldn't have to. You know, this 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 is the mentality of Christians today. They don't understand the notion of persecution. They don't understand the the notion of suffering for the cause of Christ. And no, Jesus didn't die so you wouldn't have to suffer. Jesus died that you might be set free. Jesus died that you might have life, that you might be reconciled unto God. He died that by his blood you might be cleansed of sin, and that by his stripes be healed. But Jesus did not die so you wouldn't have to suffer. If it were so, then why did Peter have to die crucified upside down? You know, why, why did John the Revelator have to be thrown into a boiling vat of oil? Why did Paul have to endure beatings and whippings and torture beyond human comprehension? You know, if Jesus died so I wouldn't have to suffer physically, then, then these men suffered unjustified. You know, we need to realize that the Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen. Not some, all. All who desire to live godly. Big, huge word, to live godly, not in a state of compromise, not in a state of worldliness, but live godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. All right, it's, it's, they're not my words, it's, it's in the book. Look it up, 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We need to acknowledge the fact that we might have to suffer for the cause of Christ. If we do have to suffer, then trust me when I tell you, we are by no means unique if we have to suffer. There are people today suffering for the cause of Christ throughout the world. It's, it's only in this country that the doctrine of suffering has been utterly removed from the churches because we've had it so good for so long. But there's this verse, this passage in Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. It says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you also become weary and discouraged in your souls. And this is the big one. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. Look, the doctrine of suffering or the doctrine of persecution for the cause of Christ is weaved throughout the word of God. And any time we're faced with persecution, all we have to do is consider Him. Look, it, it, it goes without saying that hard times are coming. It goes without saying that as believers, we must prepare our hearts and, and purpose in ourselves that we will endure until the end, until our race is fully run, and until our fight is fully fought. Because if not, then God's soul has no pleasure in Him. You know, unless we become discouraged, unless we look at the future and, and, and grow weary, all we have to do is consider Christ. Look, Jesus suffered, Paul suffered, Peter suffered, John suffered. Every giant of the faith, every one of those within the Word of God that we look to, whose sandals we're unworthy to carry, 
All of these Amen. suffered. Yet somehow in our modern age, in our present generation, we don't believe that we ought. You see, heaven on a bed of roses sounds great. It, it does. It sounds like a great deal. But so did, what, 20% a year uh, over year returns when Bernie Madoff pitched them. Wasn't That's that right. what he promised? Yes. 20% year over year. It sounds great. So what's the similarity? Look, what's the common denominator in these two? Both are fraudulent claims. If you believe in either one, you'll end up bankrupt, either spiritually or financially, with nothing to fall back on, with no strength and no purpose, with no endurance and no commitment. Right? There's no such thing as heaven on a bed of roses. And we need to stop preaching it because it's causing people to be spiritually stunted. All right, it doesn't compel them to grow in Christ. It doesn't compel them to grow in grace. It doesn't compel them to grow in faith. It compels them to sit there in their spiritual infancy and just be spoon-fed every single day. Look, we have a superficial faith. And I know that a lot of you are going, I should be watching the election returns and this guy's talking about superficiality. Well, this is important because we need to look in the mirror and face ourselves. We need to look in the mirror and, and realize we're, we're, we're off track so that we can get back on track. Look, we do, we have in this present generation, especially in this country, we have a superficial faith, a superficial belief system, a superficial understanding of God, a superficial experience with the divine, and we're unwilling to accept the idea of having to endure anything. We're unwilling to accept the idea of having to suffer for God, or having to persevere, or having to stand, or having to overcome, because, well, that, that implies that we're going to have to exert ourselves, and the only way I'm going to exert myself is cheering at a football game. I don't want to do it for the cause of Christ. You know, this is the mentality, and we don't like serious preachers. I don't have a lot of people that like me. That's why I have very few friends, all right? We don't like serious preachers. We don't like doom and gloom evangelists. We like the Happy stories, you know, the, the little girl who wanted to buy the puppy for her mom and she didn't have any money, and the shopkeeper was so moved by her plight that he gave her the puppy for free. That's heartwarming. That's right. But what does that have to do with Jesus and the cross? What does that have to do with sanctification and holiness? You know, it's, 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 it's the flesh that likes to hear about the hundredfold blessing and the thousandfold return on our investment into the kingdom of God. And we want to hear how God wants to bless us and prosper us, how like, you know, in, in, in some stupor, we're going to wake up smiling and go about our day smiling and go to sleep with a smile on our face and wake up the next morning and repeat the previous day smiling extravaganza. You're supposed to be happy. No, you're supposed to be holy. Amen. That's what God said. God didn't say, be ye happy, for I am happy. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy in all of your doings. We've twisted the word of God. We've butchered it to suit our own flesh, and God will hold us to account one day. You know, I, I, I love Paul. All right? I'm one of those guys that's a Paul fan. All right? And every time I read the writings of Paul, whether in Corinthians or in Ephesians or just anywhere, I don't peg him as someone who smiled a lot. You know, I don't, I don't peg him as someone who told quirky, offbeat stories to make a big, spiritually irrelevant point. All right? I, or, or, you know, someone who thought that they could get to heaven without shedding a tear or bending a knee. 
You know, I, I, I look at the life of Paul and I say, Lord, give me the strength that if you call me to such a life, I, I, I will be able to say, Lord, here I am. You know, just for, for just for your own spiritual growth, those of you listening to me, go into the Word of God and read Paul's resume. What is the resume of a true man of God? Yes. What does he list as his accomplishments? I bought a Bentley. I have a house the size of a small hotel, and I have a pool that a whale could comfortably do laps in. I have $100,000 watches and a personal hairdresser on call 24 hours a day. Is that what he wrote as his accomplishments? Because no. this is what the modern-day preacher's resume is. All right, they, they, they try to outdo each other in expensive cars and big homes. And yet Paul's resume was something so different. I, I, I read this at least once a month. Just, just to humble myself before God, Second Corinthians eleven twenty four through twenty eight. This, this is Paul's resume for the cause of Christ, and, and this should humble every single one of us. He says, "From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers." in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, a lot of perils for this guy, in wearing and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. What comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I have one question, and if anybody could answer it, when we open up the lines, call me and let me know. How many preachers would still be preachers today if that's what they had to endure today? That's the question. How many evangelists would still be evangelists if they had to be beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and hungry and naked and toiling? Less than Seriously. 1%, Michael. Seriously. I mean, it's... Seriously. Uh... It's a travesty, brother, because um, I know some that have uh, three Learjets parked on a tarmac right now, and uh, and they'll look at you and say, "Well, you know, if you're if you're poor and you're a preacher, there's something wrong with you. God's not happy with you." And that's the lie that's being preached out there, along with this lie that um, God only wants the best for America. We're not going to have to suffer like the other countries. And uh, he'll take us out of here before anything would happen. And they'll also tell you that, uh, you know, we can back it up because we can't find America in the Bible. Well, I'm here to tell people tonight that America is in the Scripture. And I'm going to let Michael respond to that one when we go into what uh, the Lord showed Dimitri. It's sick, Michael. And, you know, what you said is true. That's the way they um, they measure their success. By the uh, the plane, the the home, the, the bank account, the Rolex watch. And, uh, you know, and it's uh, sorry to interrupt, but it's not just the way they measure it. The the thing that that just makes me sick to my stomach is that they try to justify it. Yes. They try to justify the ten million dollar jet because you know, heaven forbid, they fly coach and give the rest of the money to the poor and the hungry. Let me you tell know, you something, Michael. If God wanted them to fly any faster than coach airplane, He could translate them like He did Philip the Evangelist. That's my response to those guys. Amen. That money. That money should be given to the, the poor and the needy, the widows and the orphans. And they're going to give an accounting one day. Um, I want to segue and roll the clock back. 
Let's go back to uh, your young boy living over in Romania. I'd like you to share your testimony over there um, about what you saw living in a communist country and um, growing up under a uh, true prophet of God, Brother Dimitri Dudeman. Folks, uh, for those of you who don't know who Dimitri Dudeman is, Michael's going to be sharing a testimony tonight. Uh, Dimitri Dudeman will probably go into history as smuggling more Bibles into Russia and Romania than any other ever man ever lived or walked this planet, but he paid a heavy price for it, too. And um, let's let's roll back the clock, Michael. Uh, give your testimony, brother. What was it like <laughs> growing up in Romania? <laughs> well, with the great Dimitri Dudeman. Most of the time, they were happy days. You know, I I, I was a child in a in a village in Romania, and uh, I, I was protected much of the time from from everything that was going around on around me. I mean, the only real thing that I saw personally is that when I went to school. Uh, they would separate us, and uh, me and two of the other kids in, in in my class had Christian parents. We knew each other from church, and they would take me and these two other kids, and we wouldn't really learn anything because during the whole four hours we were in school from eight to twelve. During the whole four hours, there would be a man that would come in and tell us that there was no God. Uh, that 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 was his only wow. job to stand there and just say, "There's no God. There's no God. There is no God." And then I'd come home and go through another four hours of detox, you know, where, where my mom or my grandpa or my dad or my grandma would sit me down and they'd read from the Bible and say, yes, there is a God. The Bible tells us there's a God. I, I got my education at home more than I did in school because in school they didn't really teach us much other than that there was no God. Uh, so that that was what I saw personally. The, the other things that I saw was... You know, my grandpa coming home beaten and bruised sometimes because the secret police uh, decided to interrogate him. Uh, and I only learned the whole story after coming to America. We were exiled in 1984. Uh, and uh, it was only after we left Romania that, that I myself discovered my grandpa's testimony because it wasn't something that he talked about then because you didn't know who you could trust. Let me interject something here, Mike. Uh, for those listening, you're tuning in to Mega Man Radio with Michael Baldea. I want you to listen very carefully out here to the testimony Michael's about to give. It's going to give you a a window into what's coming on America. And just as it was suffered there in Romania, it's my belief, Michael, we're going to be going through the same thing here. And that's why uh, we're trying to give you the truth now so that you do not faint when the persecution comes on this land that uh, is upon us. Uh, take it back over, Mike. Okay. Well, that, that that was one of the biggest problems in in Romania, at least, is that you didn't know who you could trust. Uh, there were infiltrators in the church. Uh, right before coming back to America, about a month and a half ago, I was uh, having dinner with my brother Daniel in uh, Bucharest, in the capital city, the night before I flew out. And somebody had just published a book uh, about the communist days and the communist years. And uh, they they are allowing people to go into the secret police files now and discover who were informants for the secret police who pretended wow. to be Christians. And this guy, I mean, he just named names. And uh, my, my brother showed me the book, and there were two, two men, one of, one of whom we know, who pretended to be a family friend, that were listed as informants against Dudum and Dimitru. Wow. Uh, against my grandfather. Uh, so uh, my brother Daniel right now is trying to get my grandfather's file because he, he's got a pretty thick one uh, from the secret police. Just, just, my just goodness. To see, just to see 
the mentality of that time and just to see the people that we we might still be trusting today that would go to the secret police and for you know a little flour or a little oil or a little you know uh meat uh would basically betray the brethren you know it it what what we consider as as betrayal uh in in its cruelest form didn't take a lot i mean people weren't getting houses and they weren't getting cars they were just getting a little extra food ration, and they were betraying the brethren. Uh, I, I do believe that there will come a time in this country, just as it was in Romania, where you're going to have the true believers, and you're going to have those that just played games with God, that are going to fall by the wayside, that are going to become bitter and rebellious against God, and do their utmost to destroy the true believers. You know, this is, this is what happened in Romania for many years. I... He passed away two years ago, but one of my grandfather's friends, uh, he was uh, around 78 last time I spoke to him, and we, we were just talking about the days of communism. The pastor, he was also tortured because my grandfather was by no means unique, uh, just as we will be by no means unique when we will suffer. There were other brothers and sisters who suffered along with him, and, and I was talking to this pastor, and he said the worst beating that he'd ever gotten wasn't from a secret police uh, officer. It wasn't from a communist. It was from someone that he thought was a fellow believer, someone that uh, used to come to church that wasn't really stable in the Lord, and when the police pressed him, he became a traitor. And he said the worst beating he ever got was from an ex-fellow brother. Because oh that goodness. man beat him without any sort of compunction. He said it, it, you could see the hatred in his eyes, and I didn't know whether he hated himself or he hated me, but the hatred was felt in his fists. So you know, brother, these were true demonized men. Uh, I really believe it. Uh, and I want to say something, folks. Michael's not seventy years old here tonight. This didn't happen a long time ago. Michael, how old are you today, brother? I am thirty-five today. Not, 35. not today, but, but for the next few months, I'll be 35, yes. We're talking maybe just a little over 25 years ago. Um, you're you're in Romania, you're going to school, and uh, you live to see a lot of this stuff. Um, and I believe a lot of those guys are probably probably still alive that are going to be uncovered in those books. Is that yes, possible? Yes, they are. Some of, some of them are actually leaders in the in the Romanian church. Oh, God have mercy. Uh, I mean, high, high yes. up leaders. And, yes, yes. Uh, it's 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 scary that you know the church ought to have more discernment than than they do, but you know Romanians aren't special by any means. We're we're the same as everyone else, and you know we turn yeah. a blind eye and well you know it's okay let it go. But but these things fester. You know unless they're repented of, sins fester. They grow. They mature. All right. That's that's why repentance is such an important thing. Getting back to to repentance. But uh, as far as you I know, want you to. Um... For some of those, there's there's many people that have never heard the testimony uh, you've given about um, your grandfather. Would you uh, take us back to uh, the uh, time when the Lord called your grandfather and he was serving in the... Uh, uh, I'll, let me give the microphone back to you. You know where to start. <laughs> wow, that, that, it's been such a long time. The only time I told my grandpa's testimony is when I translated for him. Uh, he passed away in 1997. Uh, hand hand to God. I've never told my grandfather's testimony uh, since he passed. Well, brother, I would uh, I would be honored if you would share some of it tonight. I know it's uh, it's very detailed, but maybe you could give the <laughs> listeners out there some executive summary because um, this is a true man of God. 
who, uh, who, who has paved the way as a pioneer. Um, well, and it's, it's something I, that I believe people need to, to know tonight because I believe people are going to experience it. Go ahead. Well, my grandfather was a potato farmer uh, later on in his life. At first, he was a rebellious child, like many children are, and he went off uh, into the Navy wanting to make a career for himself. And uh, they, they sent him out to uh, search ships, and he was supposed to be looking for Bibles. And to the best of my recollection, the first time that he found a large quantity of Bibles, they belonged to a man by the name of Brother Deeg. Uh, I think he was from Holland. Uh, wow. there, there are a lot of people from Holland that used to be Bible smugglers into Romania, Brother Andrew being another one of them, uh, that my grandfather met later on in his life. Uh, but rather than confiscate the Bibles, uh, my grandfather heard a voice that told him to, to help this man get away with the Bibles. And the voice was so stern and so authoritative that my grandfather did. Uh, after that, he came home. His father was a pastor, and uh, he repented, and he began to serve God. And because of the connections that he'd made uh, in, in the Navy, helping a lot of missionaries bring Bibles into Romania and keeping them from getting caught, he began to smuggle Bibles himself. And, well, back uh, up here a second. You're leaving out some juicy details. <laughs> I know. I, I told you it's been it's been a long time since I've, I've, I've told his testimony, and I only did it repeating what he said in English. He grows so, up as uh, I, I'm uh, sure he's a better job than me. Well, we'll piece it together together. <laughs> <laughs> brother, um, brother, uh, was his first name Demetrio or Dudeman? Demetrio. Okay, brother Demetrio uh, grew up as a uh, a son of a pastor. Am I correct? Correct. And uh, it kind of uh, fallen away a little bit, and uh, was in the military. And uh, again, he's out there uh, assigned the task of seizing any um, Bibles that are being smuggled in. And he actually heard a voice. Was this uh, the the angel that he would uh, come to hear and see throughout the rest he, of his life? What do you think? He never specified, and and I don't want to assume he heard a voice, and and the voice told him to help the missionaries rather than hurt them. Basically, uh, said uh, either help them or you're going to be punished, right? Yes. And uh, he's sitting there looking around, saying, "Where did that voice come from?" But uh, lo and behold, uh, one of the missionaries shows up, and uh, he caught him red-handed with a bunch of Bibles. Is that right? Correct. And so, uh, what they would have liked and, and, to, and, and, to do is confiscate them. That was this man, Brother Deeg. Yeah, he was supposed to confiscate the Bibles and take whoever they belonged to into custody. That that was the protocol. And instead of doing that because of what the voice had said, he helped this man, you know, sneak the Bibles through and helped him not get caught. And that was the first time that he helped a missionary. And throughout his military career after that, that's what he did. He helped missionaries get away with Bibles. Until the day came that uh, the government started to clamp down on Christians serving in the military, and they basically uh, told him, um, if you're going to be a Christian, you cannot serve in the Army. Is that right? Well, it, during during his military career, he really wasn't a Christian. He he he, he was pretty much in rebellion. Uh, he was just helping the missionaries because of the voice that he'd heard. Uh, but because his dad was a pastor, they they kind of booted him out because they didn't want you know any any suspicious persons working in the military. So he finds himself outside the military now. Uh, did he come back in as a cook later on? Um, He's. I, I remember um, some detail about um, he found himself uh, basically sitting home because they didn't. They didn't want him in the the military, uh, being a pastor's son, 
Uh, what did he do next? He came home, and uh, he he gave his life to Christ. He repented. Uh, he went to his dad's church, and God overwhelmed him. I mean, repentance came into his heart, and he came to Jesus. Uh, and from there, he met my grandma, and they got married, and he began smuggling Bibles and preaching. Yeah, God told him that uh, he was going to basically um, be uh, smuggling Bibles into Romania and Russia, correct? Across the border? And uh, this is at a time where what would happen if they caught you with a Bible? Uh, you end up usually in jail or the gulag? Well, if, if they caught you with one Bible, best case scenario, uh, they'd take the Bible away and you'd get roughed up. Uh, meaning uh, you, you'd, you'd be in a cell for a few days and take a few beatings. And uh, But if you were caught with a large quantity of Bibles, uh, you were considered basically an enemy of the state. Because wow. uh, yes. they, they, they considered Christian literature as an attempt to overthrow the communist government. Uh, yes. So if, if you were caught with any quantity of Bibles, I mean, there are countless Christians that died in prison. Uh, they used to be sent out to what we would call labor camps. Uh, there's this giant dam uh, in Mamaya in uh, in Romania, and they used to send Christians out to, to to work in the dams. And you know, whenever they'd get too tired or too weak, they'd just bury them underneath. I, there, there's countless bones in that dam that belong to Christian brothers and sisters that oh my died for the cause of Christ. Wow, that's something uh, we we have no um, comprehension of here in America, Michael. I mean, many people listening they have multiple Bibles and they read them. And um, they're collecting dust. And here, the Word of God was so precious over there that, uh, again, um, if you were caught with the Bible, folks, you're in big trouble. Now, if you were a a Bible smuggler, uh, you're going to jail over there in torture. And we're going to go into some of those details here. Because, um, you know, Brother Dudeman was uh, was called by God to get the Word of God into that country. And I'm sure he knew the, um, the consequences if he were caught. But when God calls you... Um, you told me this one time when I was uh, getting some counseling from you. You know, I was trying to make a heavy decision, and basically, when God orders you to do something, you told me there's only two choices you've got: you can be an obedient child, or you can be a rebellious child. That's it. It's it, it doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? It uh, doesn't. What, what we need to understand is that a Bible uh, in 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 Romania during communist days uh, was pe- people would exchange a cow for a Bible. Now, wow. a cow was a huge deal, because not everyone had a cow in the country. And those that did, it was their sustenance. The cow gave milk, the cow had calves, and, and people would, would, would try to purchase Bibles and offer an entire cow. Now, my grandpa distributed hundreds of thousands of Bibles for free. Uh, missionaries would bring them, and, and he'd distribute them to people. I, there were people that would write verses in notebooks, and they'd hand out the paper to each other, because... At a certain point during the 40 years of communism in Romania, Bibles were so sparse that they didn't have one Bible per church. I mean, pastors would would go to the person that had a Bible in the next village, write down a few verses and recite them before the church, you know, from a notebook. I mean, God have mercy. The pastor didn't have a Bible, and they it, it was something precious to them. And this is this is this is the thing that we need to juxtapose. We see our relationship to the Word of God today, and we see other people's relationship to the Word of God. For them, it was a precious thing. For them, it was the Word of God, and it is the Word of God. For us, it's just another book that's gathering dust. 
You know, these are things that we can't reconcile and still call ourselves sons and daughters of God. These are things that we can't reconcile and still call ourselves mighty warriors dressed for battle. All right? We need to realize that we don't make the things of God precious anymore. We don't prize the things that we ought to prize. And it's a shameful thing. To kind of put this in perspective, uh, uh, time, I mean, timeline-wise, people, this wasn't a long time ago. We're talking about the uh, early to mid-'80s, Michael. Is that about right? Uh, Late-'70s, early-'80s. Yeah, we came to America in '84. Okay. Uh, and, uh, this was under, was it uh, Cusco? Ceausescu. Okay. He was the, uh, the dictator at the time. And so yeah. your grandfather is um, he's, uh, now smuggling Bibles into Russia and Romania, and doing this for some time until the day that um, he gets caught. Uh, how did they catch him, and what happened after that? Well, they never really caught him with Bibles. Uh, that that was one of the many graces God showed him. I mean, there uh, in in the book through the fire without burning. Uh, I'm not trying to plug the book; it's been around for ages. But it's his entire testimony. Wow! And I yes. I translate I translated the book when I was 12 years old. So. Uh, you know, I all of his life story is in there. I mean, God did miracle after miracle protecting him. He would blind policemen's eyes. He tried to cross the border with a car full of Bibles. I mean, on, on in the back seat, in the front seat, in the trunk, they'd go around the car, they'd look in the car, they'd open the trunk, and they wouldn't see the Bibles. You know, God protected him every step of the way. But again, these these informants that I talked about earlier, they kept saying that, you know, Duderman's smuggling Bibles. They never found Bibles in our home. They never found Bibles on my grandfather. Uh, but because of the suspicions, they kept calling him, calling him into interrogation. And uh, it was everything from being put on the electric chair to being thrown into a room with rats to being beaten beyond, you know being a recognizable human being, basically, uh, because they believed their informants and they wanted to get the names of the other people that my grandfather had in the distribution chain. You know, that, Michael, that's how they got... Yes. You were, um, you were at home one day when you got a knock on the door and um, the, uh, was, I guess, the secret police that came in looking for Bibles. Do you remember that day? Oh, of course I do. See, my, my personal testimony I remember very well because it's my own. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was, you got the microphone, uh, brother. Give us some juicy uh, details here. Uh, well, I, I was around seven years old, uh, and uh, my grandfather had just received a shipment of Bibles. And the way they used to bring them to us were uh, 12 Bibles, uh, you know, six in a row, one on top of each other, in plastic. Because uh, what they usually did was uh, they buried the Bibles, or at least part of them, and then at night, whenever they'd have to go the next morning to distribute some, they'd dig them up and, and, and take them out. So the plastic was good. Uh, it, it protected the books. Uh, they hadn't had time to bury them. It was uh, early afternoon. And so the Bibles were lined up all around our house. I mean, against every wall, pretty much, there was a Bible. I, I have, they, it, it wasn't a, a semi-trailer, but it was at least a 15-foot truck that they brought wow. that was full. Yes. Uh, and somebody called the police. It was one of the neighbors it had to have been, because, you know, who else could it be? Uh, they came. They came with dogs. Uh, they, there was a unit. Uh, they used to have a thing called an auto, which is like a Jeep. I mean, it was packed with guys. They came in, and my mom was home. My grandpa wasn't, for some reason. Uh, and uh, they came in, and they said, where are the Bibles? And, 
you know, my, my mother always taught me not to lie. So I'm, I'm pointing to them against the wall, and my mother's trying to slap my hand away. Uh, and my mom just asked, what Bibles? Uh, that, that, that was her question. They went throughout the house. They walked by them at least 30 times because they were lining, they were against every single wall, basically, and they never saw them. They, they walked out without finding one Bible. And that, that, that was one of the first things that I saw that cemented my faith in God. So it was, it was they were kind of, literally hidden in plain sight. Oh, hundreds of Bibles. They weren't hidden. I, I could see them. They were right there. I, I could have gone and, and picked up a package for them and shown it to them. Uh, they just, God blinded their eyes. And, and God did that, you know, continually. And my grandfather wasn't the only one that saw these miracles. Uh, there were countless other brothers that experienced the same things. This is this is one of the reasons that we shouldn't shy away from persecution. I guess is the best way I can put it. Because a lot of believers do. They're 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 afraid of it. They shy away from it. But we really shouldn't. Because when persecution abounds, so does the grace of God. So does the miracle working power of God. Because if God wouldn't hold you up, you wouldn't be able to stand in such days. It says the just shall live by faith. You know, and it was because of their faith that God acted miraculously time and time again. I mean, these, these people weren't suffering cruel beatings and tortures and executions just because they felt like it. Right? They knew the power of God. They knew it intimately. They saw it with their own eyes. And it cemented their faith to such an extent that they endured until the end. Amen to that. And um, I would encourage everybody to go out and get the book called through the fire without uh, burning is that the title? That is the title. The uh, the full testimony of Demetri Dunman. We're just covering highlights here tonight, folks. But if you want to know what it was like um, to uh, to have a calling of the Lord and do it with you know danger of your life, um, you know we have no comprehension of that over here, Michael. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm serving God, or you know God has asked me to do this, but. Uh, none of us here in America can, can really say that uh, we've ever uh, been called on to serve the Lord, you know, and the, the penalty for doing so would be maybe losing your own life. But it's a powerful testimony when you see that um, Brother Dudeman was um, taken over to this uh, prison there, if I recall the story correctly, and they, they interrogated and tortured him for about six months, uh, would hang him upside down and beat him uh, into unconsciousness. Um, put him on the electric chair three times, is that right? That is correct. To try to kill him, and he would he would black out and plead the blood of Jesus, and then he would come back to consciousness. And I'm sure they were shaking their heads. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to get on an electric chair and walk off, Michael. Um, well, uh, but, but that didn't deter them either. I, I mean, I, I, the, the only thing that deterred them, the only reason that they sent my grandfather home uh, after all these things, was that the man that was in charge of his case, uh, had a brain hemorrhage and just died while reading my grandfather's file. And that, that's what freaked them out. That's, that's what scared them to such an extent that they, they sent him home. And when they sent him home, he had a broken ribs, his face. I, I didn't recognize him as my own grandpa. I mean, his, his face was just bruised and bloodied and beaten. Wow. And, How old were you about, about that time when he came home? Uh, I was five years old. Wow. I know that had to put an indelible impression in your mind, and uh, when he came home, you know, they had tortured him, uh, beat him beyond recognition, uh, tried to feed him alive to rats. Folks, if you, you read some of the stuff that he went through, it was like the Apostle Paul. Um, 
we really have no understanding of that here in America. And the reason I'm trying to spend a little time on this tonight is it's coming here to America. And uh, you need to be ready to endure till the end, um, or you're going to fall away and faint when the persecution comes. Um, so he comes home, and he literally just laid in bed, uh, couldn't even move for, what, about three to four months? Uh, it, it was four months. I, they, my, my, my grandmother was already preparing for a funeral. Nobody thought that he would survive. Uh, his flesh began to smell. Uh, it, it, it was it was horribly bad. I mean, the, the whole the whole body was in in, in mourning. You know, all the church was yeah, in mourning. They were they were just coming to visit. You know, waiting for that one day when when you know we'd say he died. You know, we have to bury him now. Uh, and it was it was it was at you know the peak of his suffering. Basically, I mean, he I he talks about this or used to talk about this in his testimony. He, he couldn't stand his own flesh because it began to stink. Uh, and his, his his body was literally rotting underneath him, uh, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him, "You're going to smuggle Bibles for four more years, uh, and then you're going to America. Uh, wow. Get up, get up, and go." And, and and my grandfather said he got up, he ran around the house, uh, he came back, he was in perfect health, uh, all the wounds, uh, all the weakness, all everything was gone. He was in perfect health, and he smuggled Bibles for four more years. But now, I want to go back to something you said. Uh, yes, I, I, I have to. God, God just put this on my heart. Amen. You said, you said, how, how is it, you know, that uh, we can prepare for this? Well, or uh, th- this is one thing that we need to understand as believers. If we're going to be useful believers, if we're going to be useful vessels to the cause of Christ, then we have to already have forfeited our lives. All right, wow. it, it's it, it's not about. Am I going to be able to suffer and die for the cause of Christ? Is I'm already dead and buried with Christ. I, I I've already forfeited my life. My life is no longer my own. Your life is no longer your own. Your, your life belongs to Christ because if it doesn't, then He can't use you. You know this, this is why you know so few people had such great impact in the world. This is why you know a handful of people are remembered throughout the ages because they forfeited their lives. For the cause of Christ, and when you already forfeited your life, what can they do but kill the body? God you know, have what's mercy, the it's worst, true. What's the worst that they can do? It's but this, but this is the mindset and the hardship that we need to have long before persecution comes. My life is already forfeit; it is already His. He does with it what He wills. If if I live, it'll be for His glory. If I die, it'll be for His glory. If I suffer, it'll be for His glory. That's it. Amen. Doesn't the word say, uh, "Pick up your cross and follow me"? You know, he was going to die, folks, for us. And uh, is a is a servant greater than the, math, than the master? If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. That's what the word says. Uh, the Lord had shown you all that um, there was a day coming that you would get a knock on the door. Uh, do you remember that day when you got knocks on the door and you had your suitcases ready? <laughs> I, I I remember when they came to pick us up. Yeah, I I didn't want to leave. I it was home. I, what had God I, said to your grandfather prior to that time? What did he say was oh, going to happen? He, he told him the exact date. Uh, after those four years, four more years of smuggling Bibles, told him the exact date when they would come and kick us out. And so uh, two weeks earlier, you know, we started giving away stuff in the house, uh, just the big things that we couldn't take with us. Uh, we had a couple suitcases filled with clothes. They were already packed and at the door. And then on the day of, when the angel of the Lord said, they knocked on the door, and they came with passports. They said, come with us. 
and they took us you mean, to the airport. You mean they didn't uh, get a U-Haul and give you a couple cargo containers and say, you know, <laughs> we're going to load up all your furniture? <laughs> well, one, one, one of the last things, and my grandpa always talked about it in, every time he shared his testimony because I think it marked him the most. It wasn't really the torture. It wasn't anything else that marked him as much as this is when we were leaving the country. It was their their final act of 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 just you know futile anger. Uh, they pretty much threw half the stuff that we brought with us back. They wouldn't let us bring it. And if it was like a suit, they'd throw back a jacket and leave the pants. I mean, wow. We, my my grandpa didn't leave Romania with one whole suit, you know. Uh, and the the guy that was was doing this, the the passport officer, you know, leaned into my grandfather's ear and said. We've finally done it. We've finally taken everything from you. And my him, and he said, you've taken nothing from me. Christ is still in my heart, and that's all that matters. You've taken nothing from me. And uh, that, that was one of the things that he always talked about in his testimony. I think it marked him the most because, uh, you know, after having endured everything that he endured, you know, he realized he'd lost nothing. You know, I, I count everything a loss that I may gain Christ, and this is the hardship that we need to have if if we're going to be useful vessels for the kingdom of God. So it wasn't about um, hanging on to earthly treasures down here. You know, his treasure was in heaven, and so um, you all literally walked away with a few suitcases. Uh, now, God had told you the, the day and the hour and so forth that uh, they were going to come knocking on the door, and I'm sure they were scratching their heads. Uh, saying, you know, how did you know we're coming? You got your suitcases ready. What's up? <laughs> so, uh, y'all actually were taken to the airport, and uh, what happened after that? Where did y'all go? Well, first we landed in Italy. Uh, we were in Italy for a couple months. We were in Rome. Uh, somebody tried to assassinate my grandfather there. Wow. And they didn't succeed. Oh, they they didn't like the fact that he got away. I mean, my grandfather had made a lot of friends uh, in 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 you know. Foreigners, uh, people in the Western world, uh, preachers, Bible smugglers that came. I, he'd befriended a lot of them. And somebody went to the human rights organization on behalf of my grandfather, and that's how he was able to, you know, the, the human rights organization was able to talk Romanian to letting him go. And uh, the, the only caveat was if you ever step back on Romanian soil, you're going to die. That, that was the thing. He, he was never supposed to go back. For you know, as long as communism was alive and well. So basically, uh, and, these secret police over there—they even tried to take him out after he got out of the country. And uh, where did you go from there? From there, uh, we uh, got on a plane and flew to sunny Southern California. Wow. Uh, Fullerton, California. Yep, that's where we lived for 13 years—a two-bedroom apartment. Well, let me ask you. I mean, when you got here, did did they roll out the red carpet and? Um, Put you in a uh, a big house down in Dana Point and give you a Learjet. Uh, well, we wanted a helicopter, but we settled for the Learjet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, pick, pick up a... where y'all have uh, y'all have landed in California. What happened at that point in time? Well, uh, a Romanian pastor that was in California came and picked us up, uh, took us to this two bedroom apartment. In Fullerton, California, uh, it smelled very badly in there. It had the shag carpeting, the '70s green shag carpeting. I can still see it now. Uh, it had absolutely no furniture whatsoever, uh, and he just left us there. I mean, somebody told him we were arriving. He did a good act. He, you know, he, he 
he just came to pick us up and, and, and bring us to this place. And so, uh, you know, the first few nights trying to get accommodated in a new country, we had no idea what we were doing there. Nobody spoke the language. Wow. We were sleeping on suitcases. And uh, my grandfather, he just, he, he could never bear to see my grandma crying. That, that was his weakness. Uh, every time my grandma cried, my grandpa couldn't handle it. Literally, uh, the just, place wasn't fit for dogs, was it? I mean, no. they had um, they probably urinated and uh, just lived all over that carpet. I mean, I'm sure the place just stuck to high heaven. It did, and and it, it just I, I I'd rather not recollect because I I still remember it, and I I've got issues from that time in my childhood. Uh, one one of the things that I, I I guess I mean still haunts me to this day uh, is going to the store with my mom. And uh, it was about a mile and a half to the nearest store, and we'd walk. And her having like $3.12 for two loaves of bread, one gallon of milk, and some eggs, you know. I mean, it was God, down to the last penny. Uh, and I, I'd ask her, you know, can can we get something else? And she'd, she'd look at us and you know, say, I have no money for anything else. So I always overshop if I'm by myself, even to this day. If my wife's not with me, I always overshop. You know, instead of buying one gallon of milk, I'll buy two. And I know that, that that's where it comes from. It's one of those things that you, you can't get rid of. Well, brother, so you are in a, a country. <clears throat> you don't speak the English language. There's no car for you. You don't know anybody. Uh, there's no money. And they've got you in basically um, in a boat that wasn't fit for dogs. What happened next when your grandmother started to cry? My, my grandfather just walked outside. He He couldn't comfort her because... What could you say? You know, you're in a foreign country. You don't speak the language. You left behind a home and animals and everything in you and family and friends. And here you are, and it's it's an inhabitable place. And so he walked outside. You know, and after all of this, after after all all the suffering and after all the torture and after all the hardship, uh, the angel of the Lord appears to my grandfather and tells him he's supposed to preach in America and tell him judgment's coming. Uh, so if anyone thinks that their service towards God is ever done because they did something for him, uh, think again. Uh, Brother, he's that, actually uh, walked out probably saying, God have mercy, what's happened to us? I, I went through all this. We're here in America. I would have just as soon died in my own country and now I'm here, what do I do? And literally, uh, as he's sitting on his, the, the porch out there, uh, if I recall, he saw some lights coming down, and he thought first impulse was someone was trying to kill him in America, too, and run him off well, the road? The, the way the apartment was set up, it, it, the apartment building was at the end of a dead-end street, you know? And outside the apartment, there was a brick planner. Uh, I, I went back uh, a few weeks ago. I was in California, and it's not there anymore. They removed it. But in, in the early years, that there was this brick thing that you could sit down on. And as he was sitting there looking up the street, uh, he saw two lights that were just coming towards him, slowing down. And so that, that was his instinct, you know, kicking in and saying, are they going to try to hurt me here too? But instead sure. it was the angel of the Lord. Wow. Uh, and uh, uh, the angel told him to get beside him. Uh, and then he took him and showed him... Uh, California. He showed him Las Vegas. He showed him Florida. Uh, and he showed him New York, I believe. Yeah, that was it. Uh, and he told him that 
their sin has reached God's nostrils, basically, and that judgment was coming, and God would destroy it by fire. And that, that was when my grandfather started asking the obvious question, if this place is going to burn, why did you bring me here to begin with? Uh, and the angel of the Lord said, because you're going to go, and you're going to preach, and you're going to tell them about what's about to come. Uh, you're going to tell them to repent, you're going to tell them to turn to God, because the, the message was never, judgment is coming, the end. The message was, judgment is coming, children of God, get ready. Judgment of God, children of God, repent. Judgment is coming. Children of God, prepare your hearts. You know, that, that was always the message. It wasn't just, judgment is coming, finality, curtain closed. It was, prepare your hearts for what's coming. And I, and I think that we're very close to it being here. It's not coming anymore. It's not off in the horizon anymore. You know, one of the precursors to what my grandfather saw, the angel told him that there would be an internal revolution in America. And to be honest with you, I've never seen this nation more divided than it is today. Right. Uh, and, and, and I do believe that, that we're very close to seeing uh, civil unrest in this country. And it's one of those precursors that have to come to pass before judgment arrives. Absolutely. Um, I remember part of the testimony that uh, God basically told him to the angel that uh, I'm bringing judgment on these locations, these cities, because they're at Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, I'll, uh, I want to interject something here. Some of the people have heard me share this, but about two weeks ago, Michael, I was awoken a little bit after 3 a.m. in the morning. And, uh, you know, I looked and saw the clock and, and noticed it was about that time. I always pay attention to what time I wake up because either in my, my belief is that you're under a, a demonic attack or it could be God waking you up. Most times it wants to, you know, you to pray or look in the Word. So. You know, the first night I woke up and uh, I just prayed and went back to sleep. Well, the second night, God woke me up again, Mike, and I looked at the clock. It was about 3.10 a.m., and I said, well, maybe God's trying to speak to me. Second time in a row. So I got my word, opened up the King James Bible, and I just let it fall open. And um, lo and behold, it falls open to Isaiah 13. And so I scanned the chapter, and I looked at the heading. I have some headings over the, the chapter titles, and uh, it basically talks about... Uh, the burden of Babylon, the destructive day of the Lord. And uh, I went to, to read it, and it talks about, uh, basically, um, I'll just uh, pull a verse out of here. It says, uh, How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's hearts uh, shall melt. And uh, it goes on to say some other things, which uh, people can read out there if you're interested, but uh, I, oh, let me go down to verse 19. It says, In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the child, these excellently shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And I, I read that, and I immediately flashed back to um, the testimony of your grandfather. And I said, Sodom and Gomorrah. I said, God, uh, I know that um, we're in some perilous times, but uh, I was trying to uh, think on some other things, <laughs> hoping we had some more time. Well, I went back to sleep, but not before going over and uh, hitting play on my, my laptop, which was near the bed, and I uh, had the CD on Bible, Mike, so I clicked it on Isaiah. Well, you would think it would start at Isaiah 1 and start playing from the beginning of the chapter. Well, it didn't. It took off from Isaiah 13, and that right there was a confirmation that God was speaking to me. So I went to sleep, and I awoke to a voice. And it's uh, the laptop still playing, and I have the the Max McLean version, and so Max McLean 
this British narrator, you know, he's reading the, the King James Bible, and uh, he's describing something. And I said, uh-oh, I know that one well. And, brother, it, uh, it started to play over in Jeremiah 50 and 51, um, which uh, that ties into what we'll be talking about, too. So, um, you know, it was a wake-up well, call to me. Well, that, that was one of the things, uh, you know, after the angel revealed these things to my grandpa, that was one of the things that he said. He said, if it's not in the Bible, then I can't talk about this stuff. So he's uh, sitting and, at a prophecy conference, right? Supposed to go up on stage and speak, and what happens? Well, I, this, I I think this was the initial uh, revelation in '84. Uh, he he the, after the angel told him that that America was at Sodom and Gomorrah and that it would be judged with fire. He said, if if it's not in the Bible, then I can't talk about it. Uh, it has to be in the Word of God. And then the angel showed him Jeremiah 51 and Revelation chapter 18. Uh, and these are two of the scriptures that point to this nation, this this great nation that was once. A golden cup in God's hand that that wow. walked away and defiled itself and no longer revered or respected God. You know, uh, he actually like, said, "God, I'm not going to uh, get up here and give the warning if I can't back it up with a word." Where is yeah. America in the Scripture? Exactly, but it has to be. Look, the Bible talks about the end of days. It's 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 a prophetic book, and it talks about these times and. God would be remiss if he didn't include the greatest nation the world has ever known within these these last days. And we see Revelation 18 describing this country to a T. We see Jeremiah chapter 51, this yes. land surrounded by great waters. We see it in the Word of God, but we refuse to see it. One one thing that I need to make very clear, and I I, I know it's going to irk a lot of people, and I apologize in advance, but it is the truth. There is a difference between warning and judgment. Okay, God is no longer warning this nation. I, I, I believe that we are past being warned. I believe that God is now beginning to judge. And there's this scripture, you mentioned Isaiah, there's, there's a scripture in Isaiah 1, 5, and 6 that says, Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. God is not warning anymore. God is not striking this nation to warn it anymore because this nation will just revolt more and more. He will begin to judge it very shortly. And those of us that know these times are coming... It is our duty and responsibility to prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves and know that we stand in God and know that God is with us and know that a thousand may fall to our side and ten thousand to our right, yet no one will touch us. Amen to that. Uh, again, people, God always brings a warning before judgment, and he's been warning this country for, for decades. Uh, you all literally went across the country, Michael. Now, your grandfather didn't even speak English. Uh, so how old were you when you started to travel by his side and become his interpreter? Ah, I was 12 years old when I became my grandfather's translator. And what was it like at 12 years old to to be up there on a platform like that and actually having to uh, preach, it translate? It was very scary because my grandfather didn't pull any punches. And my grandfather moved in, in, in the prophetic long before he came to America. I mean, he had the gift of prophecy. Uh, and so there were certain churches we'd go to where God would reveal a certain sin. 
Uh, oh, my and, goodness. You know, here I am, 12 years old, pointing out somebody and saying, stop committing adultery. Wow. It was, it was scary. It was it was terrifying because people weren't looking at him. They were looking at me because I was the one speaking in English. Uh, and so I had, it, it took me a long time to, to, to get used to that. You know, I I was happy doing what I did. Uh, when he passed away, I said, Lord, I'm done 10 years of service. It should get me a nice bungalow somewhere by the Crystal Sea. I'm good. You know, it was never my intent to, to, to preach on my own. It was never my intent to continue in ministry. He was my grandfather, and I loved him, and God called me to be his donkey, called me to be his translator. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was exciting, and it was scary, and I saw the hand of God, and I saw the power of God, and I saw his life. You know, it's one of those things when he traveled with somebody for so long, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter who they are. If if they're not themselves to their core, you're going to get to see glimpses of somebody else. I, I, I don't know if that's making sense to you. Well, you know, my absolutely. Grandpa, my, my grandpa was the same at home as he was in church. You know, same humble guy, same humble demeanor. Uh, you know, and that's what I respected uh, about him. Not Not the fact that, you know, he had a vision for America. He was my grandpa. You know, those things really didn't... What I respected most is that, you know, he lived what he preached, and he preached Christ. And that was one of the things that, that, that made me love him all the more. And so... But that wasn't all, Michael. Um, he, was a, he was a humble man, but he had a powerful anointing. Listen, he's a, he's a true prophet. There's many people out there that will say, you know, I'm a prophet. Listen, uh, if, if, you had, if I had had an opportunity, I wish I had been able to meet the man alive, but... From the stories I've heard, folks, if you'd have met this man, uh, he could shake your hand and God could give him a word, and he could read you like a book. Uh, I, I heard his own testimony um, where y'all are preaching at one of the churches, and um, Michael didn't the Lord I think told him um, there's someone in the audience that was uh, had a pack of cigarettes uh, taped to their leg. <laughs> uh, actually, it was in her brazier. Uh, he's all get it out of there. I know where it is. Uh, there were there were so many instances like that, though, you know. And and one one of the things that people don't get is my grandpa never called himself a prophet. All right, I, he, he he I am a prophet of the Lord. He didn't have prophet on his business card. He didn't have a business card. You know, he he was just a humble guy that did what yeah. God told him to do. And the doors that God opened, uh, you know, through the ten years of of ministry in America that that I traveled with him were beyond human reasoning. I mean, they were, my grandpa, a Romanian, was on the 700 Club. You know, thing, things like that that wow. American preachers aspire to. And yes. they never understood how these doors got open for my grandpa when, when, when they were close to them. And it, it only had to be God. We never had PR people. We, we don't, I, I still don't. I don't know what a PR person does. You know, I don't wow. actively seek out people. I don't actively seek out radio or TV programs. People call me. When they call me, I'll, I'll do it. I'm glad to do it. But, you know, God opens doors, and it's God that has to open them in order for them to be, you know, fruitful. If God Amen. doesn't open it, then it's me trying to do it on my own. It, it, it's me trying to push my way to the front of the line, and I'm not that kind of guy. Brother, amen. If there's ever a template for people who like to get to ministry, I mean, that's it right there for people. Um, God will open the doors if you're willing to be obedient and walk through the ones that he wants you to walk through and sp speak speak his word uh, and not be fearful of man. We only need to fear God. So, Michael, um, 
it wasn't just one opportunity that uh, he had this meeting with this angel. God would actually uh, send messenger angels throughout his whole life to speak to him. Um, that was a pretty common occurrence, as I understand. It was. Uh, and it was something that the whole family learned to live with, basically. Uh, I was I, I was in Romania the first time I saw this really really tall guy talking to my grandpa in the middle of the night. Wow! Uh, me and my grandpa slept on bunk beds. Him and my grandma was on the bottom, uh, and, and I was on the top. And I woke up one evening to, to to go to the bathroom. And in in our home in Romania, it was an outhouse, so you'd have to wake up early enough to make it. You know, it was, it was a, <laughs> like a two minute walk. Uh, so I, I woke up and I get ready to, to get out of bed and I see this, this tall man hunched over talking to my grandfather. And I didn't really move, I just opened my eyes and he felt that I'd opened my eyes and he looks up and he smiles at me and I don't have to go to the bathroom anymore, I close my eyes and I go back to sleep. Wow. And the next morning, uh, m- my grandfather, you know, says, did you see him? And, uh, I said, who? The man I was talking to last night. And I said, yes. And and all he did was ruffle my hair, and he said, "That's good. It's good that you saw him." <laughs> well, about a year, about a year and a half later, uh, I was playing outside, and we had a well. And uh, somehow I got up on the fence, and I fell into the well, and I fell in head first. Oh! My mother saw me from inside the house fall into the well. Now it was narrow enough where you couldn't turn around. Oh my! So goodness. if I'd fallen all the way to the bottom, that would have been it. I would have drowned. Uh, halfway down, something grabs my legs and starts pulling me back up. Wow. Uh, and he, I, I, I got pulled up. I, I, all I felt was pressure on my legs and being pulled up. I got put on my feet. My mother saw this from inside the house. Uh, and uh, after that, I couldn't sleep for two nights. I just, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I, something pulled me out. I didn't know what it was. And on the third day, my grandpa says, just pray. Uh, ask God to show you who, who who it was. And that night, I had a dream with just two hands. That was it. Uh, I, I dreamt two hands, and the next morning, my grandpa says, so now you know who pulled you out? And I said, not really, but I saw two hands. And he said, they belong to the man that you saw a couple of years ago. And that oh, was... Man. That was that was it, you know. That 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 was uh, my my first experience with an angel. My grandfather had this relationship, but he also had the prayer life. I mean, I I was young and I was lazy, and I'd go to sleep at one o'clock after you know praying with him for an hour and a half, two hours. I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning. He'd still be on his knees by the side of the bed. You know, it, it was that kind of life. I mean, the man spent his life in prayer and supplication to God. He had an intimacy with God that very few have. And, and because of that, God showed him grace, and, and, and he saw the supernatural in a way that very few do today. And showed him some great things. And so you all traveled around and uh, around the country for over 10 years, and uh, did you even go international to some other countries and give this word and share I've testimony? Not, we went to Canada. Canada, uh, okay. We spoke in England. Wow. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, in, uh, I, I, the message was primarily for America. And so we spent most of our time preaching in America. And it wasn't always welcome, and people, you know, kind of laughed and kind of, you know, mocked. And, well, the testimony was great, but that part about destruction, not so good. You know, and, that, and that's, one of, that's something a pastor in Florida said to my grandpa once. You know, and my grandpa gave his testimony, and he gave the message to America. And we were at lunch uh, after the service, and he said, Brother, you'd be so big if you'd leave that last part out. 
Oh, my goodness. such a wonderful testimony. I mean, you saw the power of God, and you saw the angel of God, and you went through all this stuff, and my grandpa looks up at him, and he says, the reason that I had to go through all this stuff was to have the strength to tell you about the judgment that is coming. God had to take me through all of this so that I would have the strength and the character to tell it after God told me to tell it. And and this guy was just, he, he got it. He understood it. You know, sometimes God prepares us years in advance for something that we will have to do, you know, years in the future. And my grandfather's entire life of, of, of suffering and persecution was in preparation for coming to this country and preaching a harsh message and a hard message, but a necessary message. And doing it in such a way that his hands were clean and that he didn't compromise and that he didn't water it down. And because his life was already forfeit. Uh, he didn't care what people thought of him. He didn't care that, you know, people laughed or that people mocked or that people hated him. He just preached the truth. Michael, uh, and I have to say, folks, um, God gave us uh, this warning message decades ago. Uh, for over 10 years, it was preached in America. And uh, many are still preaching the message that corroborate this. Guys like uh, Jonathan Hanson, World Ministries, uh, David Wilkerson, Henry Groover, they've seen the same thing. And uh, why did God give us an advance warning? Because he loved this country. Um, Michael, do you think that there was ever a point in time where um, we could have taken that warning, uh, repented as a nation, and seen some of this turn back? Or Yes. Um, Simple answer, yes. God, God always leaves room for repentance. You know... Hold on. Yeah, we uh, we we ignored the the warning, and uh, we find ourselves at nine one one, and uh, we didn't repent, and um, it just seems now, you know, you could have a nine one one every week, and it wouldn't even phase people. Okay, say, oh, uh, I, I, that I, I happened found, to my city. I found this passage, uh, Jeremiah fifty one verse nine. To answer your question biblically, because I've had this, this discussion with a lot of people. Well, you know, why do you think uh, America? could have repented, because God said so. Jeremiah 51, verse 9, we would have healed Babylon. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. God's desire is always restoration. God is, God's desire is always reconciliation. But when we continually and habitually reject the grace of God, when we continually and habitually reject the message of God, when we continually and habitually reject God himself, then God can't do anything but judge and punish. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, everyone to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to heaven. And that is the word of God. Yes, God, God would have healed her. There was room for repentance. We just chose not to repent. Because we, we liked playing games with God better. Brother, uh, America was given a chance to repent, and it did not. Uh, we, we received the warning. Um, are we still in the warning phase, or are we in judgment now? I, I believe we're past the warnings. Uh, th- this is my personal belief. Uh, I, I think that judgment is soon to fall upon this nation. Um, because we're not. You know, if, if 9-11 didn't wake us up, nothing's going to. Uh, and and I go back to that that verse in Isaiah. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. You know why 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 should I send another warning when you're just going to dismiss it? 
Why should I send another warning when you're just going to rebel against me? That's what God is saying. So rather than send warning, God will begin to judge. Do you believe this nation will go into um, captivity? At the hands of maybe um, foreign nations? I, I, I believe that when this nation is judged, time will be so short that things will take place very quickly, one after the other. I mean, the whole of Matthew 24 will be fulfilled. Uh, and so I, I think that if it is, it's going to be for a very short time. Uh, do I believe that we patriots will take it back? No, because the Bible doesn't specify anything close to that. I think we're already living in the end times. So uh, if, if it is taken captive, then it will be for a season. I know we have uh, reports of concentration camps in America, um, rumors that uh, there could be foreign troops occupying American soil. I uh, I went back and um, went over to handofhelp.com. By the way, folks, handofhelp.com uh, is the main ministry website of um, Hand of Help Ministries. And if you go over there, you can read these prophecies of not only Brother Dimitri Dudamit, but Michael Boldea. The Lord has given him a lot of words. And, uh, you know, Michael, I went back numerous times, and I've read the Prophecy for America, and uh, wanted to pay attention to detail. And I remember some of the key events were there'll be a, uh, a civil war or trigger event in America. And if, I, if I'm correct, as the government is busy trying to deal with that, there would be um, sabotage of some of the nuclear power plants here. And then basically Red Dawn invasion. You're talking Cuba, Mexico, Nicaragua, and some Central American countries invading probably up through the southern border. No, no wonder they're not protecting the uh, the borders these days. I, I believe that the New World Order uh, wants this to happen, and basically we're being set up to uh, be invaded. Um, brother, that's not going to be a great time to be living in America. <laughs> it, why do you think I keep asking God to release me? Uh, <laughs> But, uh, look, I, it's not going to be a great time to live anywhere in the world. Uh, the, the only safe place will be where God has you. Whether it's in the eye of the storm or a thousand miles away from the storm, if God is with you, that's where you're supposed to be. This is, this is key. This, this is something that we need to get into our hearts, because I get so many letters and phone calls from people, where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to flee? Well, unless God tells you to go somewhere, don't go anywhere. Be where God wants you to be. It may be right where you are, because God is able to protect his children. We, we have such a low opinion of what God can do nowadays that we don't even think God is able to protect us. You know, God is able to protect his children. And God will protect his children because he will reveal his power. This is something we need to understand. You know, there is no place that's going to be a haven of safety. I, I don't believe in that. I think every, every single person has a place where God wants them to be, and as long as they stay in the will of God, they will be where God desires them to be. Well, you know, um, I was looking for such a place outside American borders, and I'll share that testimony later, but, you know, if anybody um, obeyed the calling of the Lord Michael as you, I mean, from the age of 12, you were preaching, translating for your grandfather, uh, Y'all gave the warning message, and uh, I would say you could have stopped there and said, well, I, I've done my job and my calling. Um, actually, I tried. I tried. When my grandfather passed away, I, I you know, I, I loved the man very much. He was my grandfather. I respected him. I wept over him. I mourned, but then I said, I'm done. You know, that's it. I, I'm, I'm young enough to have a life. I'm young enough to, 
go on and get married and, you know, finish my education and become an archaeologist because that was always my dream. Wow, and cool. Every time, yeah, I know, huh? We're like little kids. Everybody likes to dig up stuff. Uh, but, you know, every time I would go to a prayer meeting, every time I would go to church, God would speak to me. And it would be through people that never met me. It would be through people that didn't know me. And the messages kept getting harsher and harsher. You know, the first one was simple enough. I didn't release you from the work. You need to go and continue it. I, I said, okay, well, all right, Lord, you know, maybe later. Let me interject I, I, something there, Mike. Um, folks, this is why I love Michael Boldea, because uh, he's been tested about every way that Satan can to pull people down. Satan will tempt you with women, with money, with pride, with all types of things. That's what I've seen in my own life, Michael, but... In your particular case, uh, I know that people approached you and they said, hey, we want you to pastor a big church. We'll give you a big salary, but uh, we want to edit your sermons. And oh, that, 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 that was later on. That was, that was after I started back in ministry, yeah. And look, uh, you didn't compromise for that. Um, you know, you said, I'm, I'm going to preach what God has told me to preach, irregardless of what men think or whether there's a paycheck at the end of the day. Uh, you have literally... Uh, been the template for people to follow that it should be true servants of Christ. God never uh, promised us riches down here on this earth. Well, and that clearly I... wasn't why you got involved, because there's no been no riches in it. Um, no. You, you had a servant's I, heart. First of all, I don't have the pastoral temperament. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I have the heart of a preacher. I, I don't have the temperament to preach the same sermon over and over again and see people not grow. And second of all, God didn't call me to be a pastor of a church in America. And third of all, if God puts something on my heart that, you know, contradicts the board of directors or the yes. elder board, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be subject to men. And that was, the, that was the one request that I had of God, don't make me subject to men. If you send me into ministry, then, then send me into ministry, lead me, guide me, tell me the words that I must speak, but don't make me subject to men. Uh, you know, accountable to men? Yes, definitely. Ministry-wise, spiritually-wise, I am accountable to pastors and elders. But as far as being accountable to men for the, for the message itself, I can't be, because I'm only accountable to God for the message. And in the end, God will judge us all, every single one of us. Well, you know, uh, if, if you look at secular occupations, you know, normally you get to retire after 20 years, um, you know, with, with a lot of jobs out there. And clearly, you had put in your 20 years. <laughs> You've been preaching since 12 years old. You're still a young man. Um, and yet no golden parachute. And no golden parachute, but uh, you know, figure. one day you you came to the point. You said, "Well, God, <laughs> listen, I've done, I've worked for you for twenty years. I would just like to um, go and you know be a regular, normal person, and you know have a couple of kids and a few dogs, and like to go back to Romania." Uh, do you remember that day? Oh, I do. What did God say? <laughs> well, uh, in in short, He said no. He gave you a dream, didn't He? Tell the people the dream. Oh, I I don't recall it. I it's it's been a long time. I, it, it was eye opening. Uh, it was uh, I, if I remember correctly, it was about being a deserter. It was about deserting, uh, uh, be, being a deserter in an army when the battle was about to begin, and and that really affected me because all I've ever wanted to do in my life was obey God. Let me fill and, in the details here, uh, folks. Right, you're saying, ahead. how do I know the details? Cause I'm going to tell you, this testimony is so powerful; it's touched my life forever. God gave you a dream, and you're looking over a canyon, and you look down, and you saw tents along the valley for campfires. And if I recall the story, um, 
you saw some soldiers down there sharpening the swords. And God said, uh, what do you see? And you said, uh, it looks like someone's preparing for battle. And uh, what did the Lord say? He said, uh, what do you call someone who would uh, leave the battle? Leave on the eve of battle, a deserter, yeah. Yes, that that was the dream. And uh, you can um, you can go back into the world and uh, live a normal life, and and but you'll you'll lose your reward. Or you can um, follow me because I've trained you for uh, this time now. Basically, is that right? Well, it's it, it was never about going back into the world. I am always going to serve God. I my 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 life is His. My heart is His. I just wanted to to be a normal person serving God. All right, I, I I wanted to have that nine to five job. Come home, kiss my wife, have dinner. Uh, you know, be be somewhere long enough where I can have a plant, even if it's a cactus. You know, I'm I'm never in one place long enough where I can even have a plant. I'm always either in Romania or in America or traveling around the country. Uh, never mind a pet. You know, and. My my flesh still wants that. It still wants normalcy. It still wants children. It still wants, you know, the the, the white picket fence. Even though I live in an apartment, uh, but you know, in the end, my life is not my own, and and I have to subdue my flesh and do the will of God. And yes, if 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 we run on the eve of battle, then we're nothing more than deserters. And I think the battle is upon us now. Time when the true servants of God need to rise up and and stand on the wall and be counted. And I, I said that, uh, gave the detail out there, folks, because I was ashamed um, after I heard his testimony. And uh, one day, about a year ago, Mike, I was in um, living in Costa Rica. I've been back and forth several times over a period of years, and I literally left, and I didn't want to come back to America. I said, you know, I don't want to go back. I know what's coming. Um, I would much rather be outside of the ground zero when the fireworks go off. And uh, one day, God told me to pack all my bags and get out. And I had four people tell me this, and uh, uh, I, I've received a similar warning in the past, and it, uh, I've given that testimony before people. I won't go into it tonight. But uh, I've learned that when God speaks, just as Michael said, you have no option but to be obedient or you're a rebellious child. And there are going to be consequences. Uh, if Lot had not listened uh, when the angels came and told him to get out of town, he would have died with the rest, wouldn't he? Yes, he would. So, uh, we need to obey the Lord when he speaks. So, yeah, Mike, I'm sitting over in Costa Rica, and God told me basically to get all my bags and get out and come back to America. And I looked at my wife and said, I don't understand um, all this, and um, it, I can't take you back right now. I have no visa. But uh, I know that if we're going to be back together, I have no option but to obey the Lord. If I don't, uh, it'll be bad for me. So, brother, I'll tell you, he's, he's put me on the backside of the desert. It's been the toughest. I'm going on eight months now. I've been separated from my wife. It's been horrible. It um, is. Everything was stripped away from me. And I'm thinking, dear God, why'd you do this to me? <laughs> this is this is this hurts. And uh, there was a word that was given to me as God wanted to prepare me so that I would not faint. Um I I dwelled on that word and tried to figure out, well, God, what's coming that would cause a person to faint? And uh I can only praise God that He's had mercy on me, that He's preparing me so that I would not faint, because there's going to be many that are going to be faint at the faint for fear at the things that are coming on this uh, this nation. That and uh, sometimes God will call people and tell them to sacrifice. Mike, is that correct? 
God, God, in greater or lesser measure, calls all of us to sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. Look, I, I, I don't understand these guys that call themselves servants of God that say, oh, I've never had a trial and I'm always smiling. Look, Elijah was crying out to God, kill me. Okay? He, he, he was standing there begging God to kill him. He couldn't go one more step. He couldn't. He said, I, I've done everything I could. I, I'm a miserable failure. Just kill me. I'm the only one left. She's going to kill me anyway. Jezebel is chasing me. Lord, just take me home. You know, and then God says, hold on a minute. Don't feel so sorry for yourself. There's 7,000 others that haven't defiled themselves. You're not unique by any means. You know, <laughs> none of us is unique. You know, there are other brothers that are called to surrender and to sacrifice much more than we. And all I can do is pray that when the time comes for God to ask me to sacrifice as much or more as they, to have the strength to do it. You know, we, 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 we should look at people that are being called to sacrifice and Rather than pity them, as I know a lot of American Christians do, oh, poor man, he has nothing, he's poor, he's living in a mud hut, you know, all, all, all this stuff. Rather than pity them, look at them and say, Lord, give me the grace to endure like he is enduring. You know, it, it's a huge thing to acknowledge the fact that some people that aren't as rich as we are, some people that aren't as well off as we are, speaking generally of, as Americans, are more spiritual than we are. They're closer to God than we are. Because they're not caught up in the trappings of this feudal world. All they have is God, and God is sufficient. This is the one thing that we need to understand, is that when it comes down to it and everything is stripped away, God's grace is sufficient. And it is the greatest comfort. It is the greatest joy. It is the greatest peace that will flow into your heart, knowing and realizing that God's grace is sufficient. All this other stuff is the blessing of God. If God chooses to take it away, so be it. But as long as I have His grace, His grace is sufficient. Well, you know, when Jesus called the twelve disciples, uh, didn't He say to them, you know, drop your nets and come follow Me? And others would say, but I need to go back and bury my father first. And He says, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow Me. You know, if we're not willing to forsake all people uh, and follow Christ, um, we need to check ourselves. Um, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the, the Lord delivereth them out of them all, correct? And uh, I believe God is asking people to make a decision, Mike. Are they willing to forsake all if it means losing their homes, their cars, uh, even their jobs? I mean, everything, if it comes down to it for the sake of Christ uh, and obey Him, um, you know, when persecution is coming and tribulation is coming on this nation, um, Folks, that's the only way out of this scenario. Mike, I've looked to see what the, the, the routes and possible options are out of this scenario. I mean, I believe that we're literally in the uh, living in the time of Revelation right now. We'll be the generation to see this stuff. And uh, the way I read it, uh, you either go the way of the martyr, uh, you can deny Christ and fall away as part of the great falling away. Uh, some are going to go into captivity. Some are going to um, try to take and in their own hands and fight. And it says, if you live by the sword, folks, you'll die by the sword. And uh, there will even be some that will endure till the end, Mike, but um, the key to it all is the patience and the faith of the saints. What's that mean? The patience well, and it, faith of the saints. It, 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 it means, first of all, being a saint. Look, th this, is, this is how I understand uh, what's coming. I believe that God will not allow anyone to endure more than he knows they can endure. 
I believe if it goes a step beyond that, then it is God that will strengthen them to endure it. Uh, they, you know, not everyone will be a martyr. Not everyone will go into captivity. I, I, I believe that there are some who will be spared. Well, do I believe yes. I'll be one of those that will be spared? No, I don't. Because I can't think that way. I have to prepare my heart for, for the worst possible outcome and be at peace with it. I have to prepare my heart as though I will be martyred tomorrow. I have to forfeit my life today. I have to make certain that there is nothing, no attachment, nothing that will cause me to... to, to stray from the love of Christ, to stray from the grace of Christ. And these are the things that we need to cement in our hearts now. You know, faith is something that is grown. We, we grow from grace to grace and from faith to faith. It, it is not something that just blooms in us. It's something that we have to exercise. And we exercise our faith daily, and thereby it daily grows, so that when we are called to, to suffer, when we are called to sacrifice, when we're called to do anything for the cause of Christ, we do it gladly. Look, you, you, you want to know the ugly truth? In America today, you don't need to threaten people with jail time. You don't need to threaten them with imprisonment. The only thing you need to threaten is to take their toys away, and they will gladly yes. deny Christ. Oh, that's all you have to do. We're taking away your toys. Oh, never mind. I ain't going to church no more. Because they have the superficial faith we talked about the, at the beginning of the program. They're not cemented in Christ. Their lives are still their own. They still live for themselves. They still live for the now. They're still, you know, as hedonistic as the rest of the world, yet they just purport to serve Christ. And Second Timothy talks about the times that we're living in. It talks about how, how men's mindsets and mentalities will be. Second Timothy 3.7, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, but unthankful, then unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It, it, it's going through the list and it's showing us what the end times will look like. And at the end it says having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people the word of God tells us to turn away. First, Michael, look at, yes. I don't believe this country is going to be saved, but I believe individuals can be saved. And folks, that's why we're we've got this program going on tonight. To hopefully, some of you, um, the the Holy Spirit is convicting you, and you're like me. Look, I've screwed up. You know, I, I we've wasted our lives. Um, we we know what's coming on America. What can we do, Mike, for those listening right now that say, "Look, God, forgive me. I want to turn this thing around." And uh, Use the remainder days that we've got to do something for you. What's the next step a person can take if they're the, convicted right now? The first and most important is repentance. Uh, there, there is no way to get into a relationship with God without repentance first. And after repentance is knowing the Word and living the Word, having that life of prayer, having that intimacy with God, desiring to know more of Him. You know, and then God will begin to speak to you. God still speaks to his children. He is a good God and a good father, and, and he's not sitting up in heaven looking down going, all right, I'm going to see how long I can keep silent. It's the fact that we don't hear him. Okay, That That's is probably it. what I hear the most is the statement, but I can't hear God. What is, uh, Listen. What does a person need to do to cultivate that relationship, be able to hear from him? Um. 
I, I, it's, 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 it's encapsulated in one word. Listen. See, look, sometimes God speaks to us, and because we don't like what he's saying, we pretend we didn't hear him. Uh, it, it happens more often than any of us would like to admit. Sometimes God speaks, we pretend we didn't hear him because, well, we don't like what he's saying. Well, I'm sorry, God's not going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to tell you what you need to hear. Be receptive to the voice of God in your life. Be receptive to the word of God in your life. God speaks through his word more often than any other means he speaks to his children with. And when you read the word of God and the word of God convicts you, then repent of that which is convicting you so that God will continue to speak to you. You know, God, God doesn't play hopscotch. He doesn't skip over certain instructions and, well, you didn't listen to this one, I'll give you the next one. You know, God is patient enough to wait for you to do what he told you to do first before he'll tell you to go on. You know, first you do A, then you go to B. You know, and, and sometimes God has spoken to us one thing for so long, and we pretended we didn't hear him because we didn't like it, and then he's just, you know, okay, I'm going to wait until you do what I tell you, and then I'll give you the next set of instructions, because that's wow. the way God works. Yes. In addition to uh, hearing him from the Word, uh, how have you heard him in your own life? Do you hear him audibly? I know you've actually, I I want to touch on those angel visits again, too. You've seen the same angel that appeared to you and your grandfather when your grandfather's alive. He's made some visits back, hasn't he? (laughs) He has, and it's it's always amazing. I I, I dream him. Uh, I've seen him in my dreams a few times. I've seen him appear beside my bed a a few times. And it's humbling. I I didn't ask for this. I, I really don't want this uh i i feel unworthy to carry this to be honest with you i'm i'm just a guy i, I you know i'm i'm the son of a potato of a glass blower and the grandson of a potato farmer i'm nobody special and if if god would choose to to you know show these things to someone else then praise god i've got no problem with that uh but to 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 me it's it's not about angel visitations as much as it's having my hands clean before God and knowing that every every day I'm seeking to grow in Christ. You know, a a lot of... Go ahead. Does God speak uh, audibly? Have you heard his voice? Or do you hear it as an impression? Or um, describe that for some people asking, how do you hear the Lord? I've only heard the audible voice of God once, or the audible voice of the Holy Spirit once. It was in a church service. Uh, There there was somebody that was suicidal, and, and God... I mean, I, I heard a voice, stop preaching, go to them, talk to them. And that I, I stopped preaching, I went to them, I talked to them. Wow. And, and I found out that they were planning on, on killing themselves uh, later that night. So does, uh, does he speak to you through dreams and visions also? Yes, that, that is how God speaks to me personally most often, is through dreams and through visions, and, and through the Word. You know, some, sometimes you feel an unction in your heart. You, you, you get a scripture in your head. There, there's something that you realize that it's not, it, its origin is not in you, is the best way I can put it. It doesn't originate in your stomach. It doesn't originate in your belly. Because, you know, I, I, I could be thinking about a million things, and I would never be thinking about a scripture in Isaiah 1, uh, you know, verse 5. But that pops up in my heart, and God begins... Wow through that passage or through that verse to speak to me. And, and I could write out a whole teaching based on that one verse, and I read it afterwards, and I'm amazed. Because I know I'm not that good a writer. I know I can't bring all those things together so well. I, I, I realize my own aptitudes, and I realize I'm an idiot most of the time. And so when, when something flows that way, you realize it's God. And so you can't take the credit for it. You praise God, and you go on to the next labor that he assigns you. Michael, how do we get our questions answered of 
from the Lord. For example, God, what would you have me to do next? Uh, do you want me to move? Um, are you happy with what I'm doing? You know, all of us have questions of the Lord. Are we able to get answers? Uh, there's specific God situations. Of course God answers his children. God God is a good God. The, the only problem is most of the time we grow impatient with him. God is not on our time clock. Okay, uh, if I ask God a question and he doesn't answer, then biblically I'm supposed to wait on the Lord until he does. You know, sometimes I'm exactly in the place where I need to be, and so no further instruction is required. And so I say, Lord, where am I supposed to go next? He doesn't answer. Well, that's an answer in and of itself. You're not supposed to go anywhere. You're supposed to be here until I tell you to go somewhere else. You know, we, we, need, we need to grow comfortable in, in complete obedience is, is the best way I can put it. It, it. It's something that a lot of believers have a hard time with because partial obedience is so much easier. They'll only do something God tells them. Uh, only when they see the whole picture, only when they see, you know, the entire vista. All right, I see why God's telling me to do this, because eventually he'll tell me to do this, and I'll do that. And, you know, sometimes God gives us information piecemeal. He tells us to do one thing, and he expects us to obey it. That's complete obedience. And once we've done that one thing, he sends us on to the next, next task. Like, uh, you talked about Philip. You know, Philip uh, was in the midst of a revival. I mean, that's the only way you can call it. And people were coming to God. It was great. An angel of the Lord appears to him and says, get up and go into the desert. All right? The guy didn't ask, why should I go into the desert? He didn't point out that he was leading a revival. He gets up and he goes into the desert. Doesn't get any extra information. Doesn't know why he's there. He's in the desert, 50 miles away from where he was. And then, angel of the Lord appears to him and says, see that chariot? Chase it down. And so, Here's Philip, having come to the desert, now he's chasing down a chariot. He doesn't know why he's chasing it down. All he knows is that the angel of the Lord told him to do it. Well, he catches up to the chariot. The guy in the chariot is some Ethiopian eunuch, powerful guy that's reading a passage out of the Bible talking about Christ. And so it was only at the end of his journey that Philip saw why God was sending him away from a revival into the desert and telling him to chase down a chariot. And because he was in complete obedience of God, he didn't require extra information. He didn't say, why, Lord? He didn't say, give me a reason. He just did it. And at the end of it all, he saw the reason behind it. He saw the purpose of God and the plan of God. And sometimes we just need to practice complete obedience. If God tells me to stay, I stay. If he tells me to go, I'll go. Because I am his, and that's it. Amen. Uh, it doesn't say obedience is better than sacrifice. It does. I believe it starts in the heart. I believe it, it starts with just saying, you know, God, whatever you'd have me to do, I'll do it. Where you want me to go, I'll go. And whatever you want me to say, I'll say. And, and you've got to really mean it, people. And uh, I believe that's where it starts. Um, you know, Michael, I'm notorious for not taking breaks. I think I warned you. <laughs> if, if I can convince Mike to stay a little bit longer, um, then I would like to take a, a quick break, and then we'll be back for the, the final hour with Michael. If you have a question... Um, you can call in, Michael. Can you hang on one fifty-nine more minutes? I, I'll, I'll try to do my best. How about okay, that? we're going to take a break. If you'd like to talk to Michael Boldea, uh, this is your opportunity. The phone number is nine one seven eight eight nine two seven four five, or toll free eight seven seven eight zero six two four eight two. We'll put you on the line with Michael. Uh, if you'd like to ask him a question, this would be the time to do it. And uh, I'm going to take a uh, about a five minute break. Michael allow people to. Um, 
to rebuild their coffee. And we'll be back with Michael Boldea in just a few moments. Praise God. And uh, you are listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. It's my special honor, pleasure to have Michael Boldea, chairman of Hand of Help Ministries on tonight, uh, sharing his testimony and a word from the Lord. Michael? Thank you for uh, hanging in with me for these three hours. Um, And I want to uh, talk here in a few moments about uh, the ministry of Hand of Help. Uh, While we were at the break, I went over to your website, and uh, I'd like to go ahead and give out a couple uh, dates in your speaking schedule. Now, uh, you're going to be traveling to um, Moon Township, Pennsylvania, in a few days? Uh, And preaching? if If it's on the website, yeah, I think we are going to Pennsylvania this weekend. Okay, I'm showing you'll be, Michael will be in uh, Pennsylvania over in the areas of Moon Township, Newcastle, and Coriopolis um, this week, November 5th through the 7th, and uh, he'll be preaching there. Now, Michael, um, I remember uh, listening or going over to uh, the YouTube channel and uh, The Truth in a Nutshell. Are you still doing The Truth in a Nutshell? Series? Uh, we're, still, we're still filming The Truth in a Nutshell, yes. Ten minutes worth of truth. Uh... I, well, an hour is worth of truth in ten minutes or less. That that was, I guess, the, the idea behind it. Man, praise God for that, folks. And listen, you want to know where you get uh, some daily inspiration from the Word of God, truth in a nutshell, up on Michael's YouTube channel. And um, you're also doing a program called Truth for Today on the Inspirational Network. Uh, I looked up the time. It's uh, Tuesdays, 11.30 p.m. Central Time, people. And Inspirational Network, I believe, is on both DirecTV and uh, Dish Network. So uh, pretty much uh, a person could uh, tune to this anywhere in the United States, including local cable, if I'm not mistaken. Praise God for that door. Michael, um, you know, a question a lot of people ask is, you know, I'm in agreement that, um, you know, the, the Word of God is not being preached in most churches. Uh, most of the uh, the mainstream have turned apostate on the on the airwaves, uh, where can I go to get fed the true word of God? What would be your advice on that? How do first I turn things foremost, around in my own family? First and foremost, go to the Bible itself. Uh, know and understand the gospel of Christ. Look, Paul said it in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so what we need to understand is by knowing the gospel of Christ, knowing the word of God, our faith is built up. It is revealed by faith or from faith to faith. And so we, we need to daily get into the habit, I guess is the best way I can put it, of reading the word of God. You know, it doesn't have to be 15 chapters a day. It could be one or two verses and then meditate on them. Just sit there and pray and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through these two verses? What is is the essence of the message in these two verses? And and God will speak to your heart when, when you take the Word of God and you ingest it, when you read it and wait patiently on God for God to reveal the truth of it to you, you will understand it in so much more depth. You will understand it so much more clearly. You You will see it more vividly because... The Word of God is deep, and it is wide, and it is so beautiful, and there is so much in it that we as children of God need to know and understand. Look, if we don't know the Word of God, then we don't know what we have access to in God. You know, we're a powerless church today, we're an impotent church today, because we stopped believing in 
a God of power and in the power of God. We are exactly as Timothy says, you know, having a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. There is power in godliness. There is power in knowing the Word of God and applying it to our daily lives, because when we apply it to our daily lives, it begins to take shape and take fruit and, and take root. And, and then the tree begins to grow, and it begins to have spiritual fruit. We begin to understand the promises of God. We begin to understand what God has in store for His children, and we begin to walk in the authority of that knowledge. We begin to walk in the authority of God because God says, all authority is yours. And so, first and foremost, you know, there's plenty, look, there's a lot of people that are ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. The truth is simple if we receive it as such. Go to the Word of God. I, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet not all of it is good, not all of it is great, but you can find some wholesome teaching, you can find some good sermons, you can find, you know, not just on our website, there's a lot of people that, you know, especially writers from the 17th century, 18th century, early 19th century, that were used powerfully of God, and they wrote such beautiful books that are online, and they're for free, and you can print them out, and you can read them, and you can understand the heart of God through their writings. But first and foremost, the Bible, that is the essence and the thrust of our lives is the Word of God. I truly do believe there's a famine in the land of the Word of God, and um, I praise God for for the work that you're doing there at Hand of Help. And again, it's uh, it's a message that's uh, it's uncompromising, folks. There should be more men and women of God out there uh, holding to the standard, the old landmarks. Um, Someone might ask, well, what do I do, Mike? Do I start Genesis 1 or Matthew 1, or where would you, say, delve in if they haven't had uh, daily Bible study as a walk in their well, life? If, what would if, you do? If, if a believer hasn't read the whole Bible through at least once, uh, they should. Uh, I, I, I think that as, as far as uh, daily devotionals, open the Bible. Uh, say, I'm going to read six verses, or I'm going to read three verses. Open the Bible, read three verses from wherever it opens, and meditate on it. All of it is the Word of God. Yes. But I highly recommend, you know, making out a schedule and reading the entire Bible through. You know, not not in two months, because you don't have enough time to absorb, but easily. And, and every single day, a few verses, meditate on them. Jot down notes. You know, have it a time of fellowship with God through His Word. Don't just be in a hurry. All right, uh, let's see, Jesus wept. Good. All right, I read my Bible today. i got to go. It has to be something that you desire. It has Knowledge of God has to be a desire in your heart. And when it is, you make time for it. You have, you have the patience to meditate on it. You have the patience to wait on God to speak to you through his word. But if it's just a, a, a morning devotional, open your Bible, read three verses, pray over them, uh, and, and let God speak to your heart. Uh, is there's I believe that we're an end game here in America, and I believe we are in the the final hours before the destruction of this country. Um, of course, I know that uh, the world's not going to end. There's got to be that thousand year millennial reign. So I know there's still time in the grand scheme of things. But for us here in America, folks, you can wake up one morning, your whole world has changed. Um, just like the night many of us woke up when nine one one happened, and um, we're still feeling the repercussions. And I just you know. My question, I guess, Michael, is um, is it too late for someone out there listening right now to turn things around for them and their families? Well, as long as they have breath, it's not too late. The only time it becomes too late is when this flesh goes back into the earth, 
uh, because once that happens, no amount of candles help your soul. It doesn't matter how many people are praying over your corpse. It's done. It's the end. There is no repentance after death. And so if, if today you have breath and today you have life, today you have the opportunity to repent and receive Christ, it's that simple. It's, it's never too late for anyone. Look, God is a merciful God. It's man's disobedience and rebellion that compels him to judge because he's also a righteous God. But his desire is that no one perish and all have everlasting life. But in order to have everlasting life and in order not to perish, we have to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. It's not too late, but we need, we need to desire to, to be transformed by the power of the Word of God. We need to desire to be transformed into the image of Christ and not just play church, not oh, fire insurance, okay, I'm going to raise my hand because, uh, you know, just in case judgment comes, God will protect me because I raised my hand. No, that's, that's, that's superficial. That's, it's not going to help with anything. It's having the desire to know the grace of God and, and to appropriate it to your heart. And to know that Jesus died for your sins, and to know that by his blood you are cleansed of your sins, and you are a new creature, and a new creation, and a new man with a new desire, and, and a new purpose, and a new kingdom that is waiting for you. If there's someone out there listening, either live or in the MP3 recording, um, and this program goes all around the world and is up on iTunes, we get a lot of people downloading it, uh, as well as listening in real time. Uh, if they don't know Christ, Mike, um, how do, how can someone come and accept Christ as their Savior and turn things around for themselves so that no matter what happens, uh, even if tomorrow a nuke went off in their city and they died, um, they could go to heaven. What would a person do to make that decision? Receive Christ into their hearts. I know it's oversimplifying it, but when we receive Christ into our hearts, then Christ compels us to repentance. You know, Christ, Christ, Christ compels us to a new life. Christ transforms us from within. You know, the thief on the cross didn't go to seminary. The thief on the cross didn't have time to go into detail. He simply said, if you are the Son of God, then I want to be with you. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in my kingdom. And so, receive Christ. Understand the fact that He is Lord, that He is the only way, that He is the only truth, that He is the only life, and no man goes to the Father. No man can reach God except through Christ Jesus. He is the doorway. He is the portal into eternity. And it's it, it's by receiving Him in your heart that, that you begin the transformation. Amen to that. And that's the first step, folks. Uh, where there is breath, there is hope. My father used to tell me that, too. and That is true. Um, we can't control the events that are, are going to come to pass here. There's a, terrible things uh, lined up for not only this country, but countries around the world. And again, men's hearts will fail them for the fear of it. But um, one thing we, we can be certain of is if we'll accept Christ as our Savior, uh, He can protect us if we're walking according to His will. And if we're asked to give up our life or we're uh, spirits leave the body suddenly through some calamity, um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And uh, we're, we're all going to uh, go somewhere in eternity. It's going to be heaven or hell. So we've got to make that decision now while we still have an opportunity to make a decision. Um, you know, we can't straddle the fence anymore, can we, Mike? No, it's the hour is, is late, and we're so far past being able to straddle the fence. It, it, it's, it's, it's not even something that's worth discussing. Look, the time is here. Those that are straddling the fence will discover that God doesn't play games. Those that are straddling the fence will discover that 
God will not accept unrighteousness. God will not accept sin in his kingdom. They will discover that he is a righteous God. They will discover that he is a just God and that they've only been deceiving themselves. You know, if you're hearing preachers tell you that you can get to heaven loaded down with sin, they're a liar. It doesn't matter who it is. They're lying to you. You need to repent. You need to return. You need to believe in Christ, and you need to let him guide you. You need to let him lead you. You need to forfeit this life. You need to be baptized into his death that you may have life. It's, it's what the Bible tells us needs to happen. And we've oversimplified God. We've made God into this big, old, jolly fellow up in the clouds looking down and laughing and carrying on. But the truth of it is, he is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, just, righteous, and holy. And God will one day judge the earth and every inhabitant therein. And it is a fearful, fearful day for so many people. Amen. You know, and the Word says that uh, judgment comes first to the house of the Lord, and if the righteous scarce would be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? Um, one of my, two of my grandfathers, Michael, were, were ministers, but um, one went on to be home with the Lord, went on home to be with the Lord many years ago. And the last um, sermon he was going to preach, he had notes on his desk when they came to clean out his office, and it was called The Sifting of the Saints. And, you know, uh, I sometimes think on that, and I'm thinking, you know, that's what's happening right now. I believe that God is ratcheting up the pressure. And, folks, you've got to make a decision for Christ today, especially those that would call themselves believers. You're going to sell it 100%, okay? Or get on the other side, because if you try to straddle it, um, you're just going to be ripped to shreds. We've got to make a decision for Christ one way or the other. Either we're going to serve them with everything we've got, or we're going to be part of the great falling away. And, um, you know, um, just as Jesus said to Peter, Satan seeks to sift you, Peter, but when you're recovered, go and help your brethren. That's the message I want to put out there, folks, is get your house in order, okay? Make the decision that uh, you're going to die to self, and you're going to forfeit everything here if it comes down to it for Christ, not compromise. And uh, then go help some of your brethren to wake them up. Because the, the people that do not wake up are going to uh, find themselves in that verse that says the great falling away. And there, there's very little time to make the decision, Mike, I believe, for people to uh, decide. Are they for the Lord or on the other side of the line? Like when Moses drew that line in the sand. Uh, and God will force people into circumstances to make them make the decision. Do you agree? Well, the enemy's greatest tool is tomorrow. It, it's it's delaying tactics. You know, uh, I'm going to repent, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. And tomorrow becomes the next day, and the next day becomes the day after that. And, and we never get around to it. The enemy loves somebody who puts it off just one more day. Right? There, there is no delaying it. It's about eternity. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a concept that the human mind cannot grasp. God is eternal. No beginning and no end. How do you, how do you get your mind around that? You don't. But it's about eternity. It's about forever and ever and ever. And there is no justifiable reason to put it off one more day. You know, repent now. It's, it's as simple as that. And as far as pressure is concerned, look, it's pressure that turns a piece of coal into a diamond. It's, yes. it's fire that purifies gold and makes it precious metal. You know, we, we need to realize that God's afflictions and God's uh, pressing down on us are, are nothing more than his molding and chiseling us 
into something beautiful in his sight. We, wow. we shouldn't we shouldn't shrug from it. We shouldn't run from it. We should receive it and accept it and realize it's the love of God molding us into an image that is more in His likeness. And whenever God is done molding us, He can use us. This is the one thing that believers in this country, especially, you know, to to them it's a catch twenty two. Well, you know, God isn't doing anything in our church, but none of us are meeting God's standard for him to do anything in our church. So what's next? You know, we need to realize that a vessel needs to be clean before God can use it. I think this is one of the reasons that we see so little of the power of God in the church in America today, because so few are are, are living up to the standard that God has set. Not man, God. All right? If God has set a standard, if you want to be used of God, meet his standard. That's it. It's as simple as that. I, I can't change the mind of God. I, well, Lord, there's nobody that's met your standard, so you have to lower it. God doesn't do that. God doesn't, you know, make deals with people. God commands we're supposed to obey. If God says be holy, then we must be holy. We must strive for holiness. It's as simple as that. The reason that we're seeing so little of God's power in today's church is because hearts are not ready to receive it. God will not pour new oil, new wine into an old wineskin, the Bible tells us. It needs to be new. It, it, it can't be patched up. It can't be, you know, just spit-shined a little bit. It needs to be new. A new mind and a new heart and a new purpose and, and a new man that desires to serve God completely. I know Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And Many of the promises of God, um, people or nations fell short of because they wouldn't obey his uh, commandments and laws. But um, when it comes down to practical application of that, what are the commandments that the Lord would have us uh, keep, Mike? Uh, how, how, how can we kind of put a mirror up to our lives and say, um, I'm in right relationship with the Lord, or what could be the litmus test for someone out there listening right now? The Word. Uh, the Bible, there, there, there are so many requirements that God has for his children. There, there are more stringent requirements for those that want to be elders or deacons. Uh, you know, the, the Bible tells us everything. We, need, we look into the mirror of the Word, and we see our reflection. And if we don't like the reflection we're seeing, it's not the Word's fault. All right? The Word of God reflects the truth back to us. And if the Word of God says stuff in there, you know, that, that we're still doing and we're not supposed to be doing and we kind of don't like what we see, then we're the ones that need to change. It's not God that's going to change. You know, it's it's as simple as that. It, it's striving for righteousness. It, it's living yes. holiness. All right? It, it's laying aside the world and the things of the world. It's becoming untethered from the lusts of the world, from the desires of the world, from the mentality of the world, and it's becoming one with Christ. That's what God requires of us. And if you think it's easy, it's not, because it hurts. Because God tells you to get rid of something one day, and he'll tell you to get rid of something else the next day. And and eventually, (laughs) you, you realize that God is stripping you down to the bare bones. But it's so that he can rebuild you into his image. That's what we need to understand. It's a painful process, but when God is finally done molding and chiseling and putting you together, then he can use you. Praise God, man. So the mirror is the Word of God. We need to measure ourselves against that, and that's how we're going to find out. 
foreign right relations. That's what James says. Amen. Praise God. Um, I'm excited to have you on tonight. Let's talk about the uh, Hand of Help ministry. Uh, so the Lord gave the, the word of warning. You all went around and preached for over 10 years. And then um, how did Hand of Help Ministries and the Romanian Orphanage come about? Talk to us about that. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> when when we first started Hand of Help, uh, the, the primary purpose was first to, to preach Christ, basically, to America, to, to, to spread the message, to, you know, talk about what was coming, and second of all, to, to help the Romanian people. That, that was always on our hearts. That was always on my grandfather's heart. And so we first started sending food packages to Romania, to families that we knew the, the husbands were arrested or imprisoned for the cause of Christ. Uh, when uh, Chernobyl took place, we started sending multivitamins. Uh, we, we started doing what we could to, to, to help the people in Romania you know, fare better with it. Uh, and in 1989, about a year before the revolution, actually it was about 10 months before the revolution, God told my grandfather that he was going back to Romania. Well, when God told him that he was going back to Romania, Romania was still a communist country. Uh, they made it very clear to him that if he returned to Romania, he'd be shot on sight. So, oh, wow. uh, so you know, he, he wakes up one morning, tells the whole family he's very excited, I'm going to get to go back home. Uh, he goes out and he buys 300 uh, large print Bibles, puts them in suitcases, goes to our uh, local Romanian church, tells them all, I'm going back to Romania, and it's going to be this year. Uh, well, you know, December rolls around. Romania is still a communist country. Uh, my grandfather buys a ticket uh, for December 29th, 1989, uh, and the whole family is getting kind of worried, you know, because if he goes, then it's very likely that he won't return. Uh, well, December 24th, 1989 rolls around, and Ceausescu and his wife are executed. And on the 29th of December, 1989, my grandfather landed on Otopeni Airport with 300 large print Bibles. <laughs> Praise uh, God. <laughs> and uh, he brought some money along with him, and he started passing it out to pastors to build churches. Uh, we've built over 50 churches in Romania so far. Man, wow, that's uh, great. Yeah, and and back then, I mean, it was putting up a building was nothing. It was really cheap for less than ten thousand dollars. You can put up a building now. Things have changed a lot. Uh, but a few years later, uh, Grandpa wakes up one morning and he says, "God told me to build an orphanage." And I told him, "We have one hundred and sixty-five dollars in the account. Uh, is it going to be miniature?" You know, one hundred sixty-five dollars. Yeah, yeah, you can build that, a big building with that. No. It might be a Lego my, building. <laughs> that was my reaction. Is it going to be like a miniature orphanage? I don't know. It's, it's, it's 165 bucks. That's, that's all we had. You know, I, we've never been one of those ministries that, you know, actively tells people they have to give. You know, we, we send out a newsletter. This is the work that we do. If God compels you to give, then give. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, my grandpa flew to Romania a couple of months later. They drew up the plans for the orphanage. They, uh, uh, we got the land uh, for 99 years. It was, it was from the government. It was a concession. I don't know what, what they call it in America. Uh, like a land lease. And yeah. uh, he said, okay, this is where we're building the orphanage. 
Well, within three years, uh, the building was up. Uh, huge, six-story mammoth thing. Praise God. Uh, God God provided the finances miraculously over and over again. Uh, it was, uh, you know, with the orphanage and the church behind it and the building next to it, it was about a, a million-dollar investment. Man, uh, that's awesome. Which, you, you have a church which, next to it also? Oh, yeah. That, cool. That's uh, the Messiah Church. That's our, our my dad pastors there, and when I go there, I that's the only Romanian church I preach in because they understand I don't speak Romanian so well. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, the first service that we had in the church was my grandfather's funeral. Um, he got to see the orphanage open. Uh, it had been open for about a year and a half before he passed, but the church wasn't done. The first service we had there. Was was his funeral service? Wow! Uh, so God God's been providing ever since. I mean, right now we've got between eighty six and a hundred children at any time. Uh, we have eighty six that are permanent, meaning they have no parents whatsoever, and they're with us until they're eighteen. And then uh, the fluctuating number is uh, the Child Protective Agency bringing us children uh, that have been abused, uh, that have been beaten. Uh, the parents are drunks, stuff like that, and so they stay with us anywhere from you know two months to two years. Now you actually uh, get uh, knocks on the doors over there some days, and you've got a child on the doorstep, basically. Uh, um, yeah, they, they they bring them to us. The Child Protection Agency, uh, it's a governmental agency, but we're the only orphanage uh, in the area that they work with. And when I was in Romania this last time, uh, a few weeks ago, I found out that we are now the largest independent orphanage operating in Romania. So, man, uh, praise God. Yeah, so and, and they have it, shelter. It um, do they go to school there too? Uh, they go to public school. We have tutors. Uh, okay. That tutor them and help them with their homework when they get back. Uh, we have about sixty employees, which is huge. Yeah, that's uh, but, great. But the government mandates certain things. You know, the government requires that you have so many nurses, so many doctors, so many cooks, so many uh, cleaners, so many tutors. So uh, luckily, uh, a paycheck in Romania is between a hundred and three hundred dollars. So we're able to hire all these people uh, a lot cheaper than we would here. Uh, Praise God, man! That's I, there's awesome. There's no way we could afford it to do it here. So uh, God, God's been good. I, all I can say is, by the grace of God, because honestly, I, I've never taken up an offering in my life. I, I can't ask people for money. I ask people to pray and do what God tells them to do, because I, I think that's the Christian way to do it. I think guilt tripping people into giving money is is not a good thing. I, I, I think promising people excessive returns on their money is not a good thing because it's not biblical. We're supposed to give because we desire to be the heart of Christ. We're supposed yeah. to give because we desire to, to to be the hands of Christ and reach out to those who are hurting and help them. And that's been our ministry's philosophy since it started. And God's, God's been gracious. And we've been able to feed hungry people and feed widows and we buy cows for people, and we buy livestock for people, and we buy firewood, and we rebuild their homes, and we pay their bills, and wherever we can help, we help, because that's what we were called to do. Amen to that. You know, um, some people were saying, well, what do I do in these you know, times of uh, financial collapse? Uh, do I put money into the stock market? Do I keep it in an IRA or keep it in the bank or under my mattress? Well, you know, Michael, I go back to what the Word says. Uh, I think the best investment plan possible for anybody is what the Word says, and it says, uh, He that remembereth the poor is as if you have lent to God, and God shall repay you. 
you know, when you help the widows and the orphans, um, you've lent to God, folks, and God will remember you, and he'll repay you. And God's not a man that he can lie. He watches over his word perform it. Um, there is not a greater uh, ministry you can get behind than one that uh, is involved helping the, the children and the orphans. You know, I remember what Jesus said, Mike. He said, uh, you know, if you hurt one of these little ones, it would be better that you tied a millstone around your neck and jumped in the ocean, basically. Yeah, pretty much. You know, God, God has a special place in his heart for the kids. And when you're blessing the kids, you're blessing God's heart. Um, I would encourage everybody out there to get behind Hand of Help Ministries, um, to go over to the website, sign up for the newsletter, and uh, start blessing the children. And I can tell you that uh, there's not many ministries that you can get behind that you know or you have confidence that to what you're giving is getting to the people that's supposed to receive it. Most of them you have no idea if it ever makes it. That's not the way it is with Hand of Help. And Mike didn't ask for this platform tonight or ask me to pitch it. I'm doing this because this is a ministry that I believe behind, and I've checked out. And I will tell you, um, what a return there will be. Oh, keep doing what the Word of God says, blessing the widows and the orphans and blessing Israel. Um, the stock market is going to collapse, Mike. Even the uh, the ungodly out there know that. I even heard uh, the testimony of uh, one of the infomercial kings, uh, Tony Robbins, before he jumped on his plane and went to Fiji. He said, uh, don't put your money in the stock market. It's going to crash. That's what his people were telling him. This is a guy that doesn't even profess to know Christ. Um, everybody knows that's on the inside well, that the economy is going to crash. I, I, I look at it a little differently. I, I, I think, again, it's a spiritual issue because the more we try to cling to the things of this earth, the faster they will disappear from our hands. Yes. It's like trying to, it's like trying to hold on to sand. I, I never pitch people. I don't tell them, help my ministry. What I, what I do encourage people to do, whatever ministry God tells you to help, have an open heart to do it. Whatever capacity you have to help, have an open heart to do it. Don't close up your heart when God tells you to do something. It doesn't necessarily have to be hand of help. There's countless ministries that are helping orphans, that are helping widows. We're just one of many. You know, If God tells you to help this ministry, then praise God. But be open to God's leading in, in, in doing something, going to your neighbor, giving him a glass of water. Being charitable, not because you know, you're thinking of getting something in return, but because it's the heart of Christ to do it. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of people that honestly are, are going mad because they trusted in their things. They trusted in their gold and their silver, and they trusted in their stocks and their retirement portfolio, and they're seeing it slip away. They're seeing it taxed away. They're seeing it devalue. And, and because they put their trust in those things rather than in God, they're not taking it so well. I mean, there, there's, I, I, I've known of people that have actually committed suicide because they've lost so much. There was, when I was in Romania last time, there was a German billionaire uh, that lost 90% of his uh, wealth in, in the stock market when it went down back a year ago. He threw himself in front of a train, you know, wow. because that, that was his existence. That was, that was his entire purpose, was green paper or yellow paper or pink paper or how, you know, whatever currency you want to use. His entire existence revolved around having stuff, having money, and when it wasn't there anymore, he was empty. You know, when, when our entire existence re revolves around Christ, then, you know, the dips and the valleys and the mountaintops, 
they won't affect us. We, we will realize that sooner or later, as children of God, we will have to live by faith. And so whether God prospers us or God allows us to, you know, not have and so pray more so that he provide, praise be to God. It's not about the stuff. It's about Jesus. Amen to that. Uh, you know, where do we put our treasure? That's where our heart will be. Uh, you know, you can wake up and be like the people in Argentina that they woke up and uh, their bank account had been seized, and what they had in the bank the night before, now it was worth 50% less. You know, that's happening to the American currency before our eyes. We're seeing the devaluation of the dollar. And I'm not a financial expert out there, but uh, I also wasn't born yesterday, and I know that um, it's got to happen if um, we're where we think we are in end-time prophecy. They've got to put together this one-world economic unit. Uh, they've got to crash the economy of America. Um so some terrible well, things are, I, are ahead. I think we're, we're we're seeing a perfect storm, economically speaking, uh, coming together. Uh, I, I think devaluation with hyperinflation with uh, higher taxes are going to cripple a lot of people. And so, you know, it's it's not going to be pretty anywhere in the world. Uh, there there is no safe haven other than Christ. And again, I I know I sound like a broken record, but yes, that is the only hope. That yes. is the only hope, Christ. That's it. Christ and Christ crucified and resurrected. That is the only hope that we have. If we hope to put our trust, our beliefs, our faith, our, our, our expectation of tomorrow in anything other than Christ, then we have utterly failed, and we will be, of all people, most pitiable. Wow, isn't that the truth? Because everything uh, is fleeting, folks. Uh, what you have can be taken away. Uh, it can be taken away even by your neighbor at gunpoint. Um, the government can confiscate it. It can be devalued. You can be forcefully removed from where you're at. Um, we can be just like they were in coming out of uh, Egypt, Michael, and all they had was what they carried on their backs, and then even that ran out. And they had to rely on the Lord for daily manna and provision. I believe it will get to that point before it's over with. But... uh if we have Christ, we can make it. Uh, that's the only hope we have. But that's that's sufficient, isn't it, Mike? Well, if it's not, then God's a liar, isn't it? Isn't he? Amen. Uh, you know, God <laughs> said it to Paul. My grace is sufficient. We talk, I know it's been a whole three hours, but we actually talked about this. You know, God's grace is sufficient. And we only realize this in hard times. Uh, you know, when, when everything's going well and everything's good, uh, you know, it, it's still true because truth is unchanging, but we don't acknowledge it in our hearts. It, it, it doesn't permeate, uh, you know, it, it, into our inner being. When hard times come, when we go through trials, when we go through persecution, we begin to see the veracity of this truth through our own experience. God's grace is sufficient. That's it. Amen to that. Um... Wake up to the folks now while there's still an opportunity to, to do something. Uh, we don't have to let it be like uh, being you know caught off guard like a thief in the knife, night. Excuse me, um, Mike, I hogged the time here. We've got 20 minutes remaining, but if anybody would like to uh, speak to Mike, and there were several people that were waiting patiently. Uh, <laughs> but that's a good thing about having your own show. You can, uh, you can um, ask the questions you want to ask, and I've been asking a lot of stuff for myself tonight. Um, 
If you would like to speak to Michael, the phone number to call in is 917-889-2745. We'll put you on the line with Mike. Mike, out of the chat room, someone says, uh, uh, do you have a preference as to uh, which version of the Bible a person should get if they don't have a Bible already? Uh, Well, uh, a lady by the name of Carol Hudgens out in Florida uh, gave me a Bible when I was 12 years old. It was uh, one of the first uh, trips I took with my grandpa. And it is a New King James Version Bible, and this is the Bible that I will be buried with. I've okay. got, I've, <laughs> I've got, uh, just it's all scrawled, it's all highlighted. It's not that I prefer it, but when I learned English, it was very difficult for me to learn uh, the, the King James, the vowels, and the arts. Uh, and so, uh, as I learned how to speak English, it was a lot easier for me to read the New King James. And I've grown with this Bible. I, there is not one page on here that isn't highlighted or written that doesn't have a little note on the side. And so, uh, I'm, I'm very partial to my Bible because it's my Bible. Uh, I, I do understand uh, some people are very uh, strict on King James only. Uh, if, if you are, then praise God, read the King James only. I, the New King James serves me. Uh, the truth of God's word is still plain here. Uh, the, the, in Romania, there's only one version of the Bible, so we don't have these discussions which uh, just you know occupy our time. Uh, but yeah, this, this is my Bible. I've had it since I was 12 years old, and it's falling apart. And I got to duct tape it soon, but I I it's I, I couldn't imagine having another one. Hey, that's a that's a great answer. Uh, here's another question. Uh, please ask Michael. How hard is it to adopt a Romanian child? Uh, it is still very difficult to adopt Romanian children. Uh, it stopped about 12, 13 years ago. I mean, it's been a long time since they stopped adoption. Uh, you have to live in the country for at least two years before they'll even consider a foreigner adopting children. Uh, there were a lot of hideous stories about uh, children being adopted from Romania and then being abused and maltreated, I guess is the best way I can put it. So they... they they're still closed on adoption, so uh, it's it's very difficult. Okay, now here's something that I want to ask you, um, Mike. You have seen the same angel over the years, the one that the same one that appeared to your grandfather. Is that right? Um, had when you see the angel, are you able to remember any detail of how the angel looks? Does he have uh, dress like a regular man? Does he have wings? Anything uh, specific about his accoutrements? There there are certain times when he comes in armor. And, wow. I remember his, cool. and I remember his armor very clearly. I remember the shield and the the scars on the shield. I remember the sword. Wait a minute. Did uh, you say scars uh, on the shield? Yes. As though it wasn't pristine by any means. I mean, it was a shield that looked like it had been in a war. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, it's, it's as though he was fighting. Uh, it's one of the things that my eye caught very clearly, and that it always stayed with me, you know. We we imagine everything to be pristine. Well, you know, when when the angel came to Daniel, he said he was late because he was fighting all the way down. So uh, some 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 you know, if we got a glimpse into the spiritual, I think it would forever change our perception of everything. Man, that's uh, that's wild. Uh, how big are some of these angels that you've seen? They're uh, over six foot. Uh, I, it's been one one man. I, I it's been consistent since early childhood. The guy that was talking to my grandpa. He was very tall because his head was above my bunk bed, uh, and and I remember his face. It was the same man. My goodness! Uh, and so sometimes he'll be dressed in armor. Uh, when, does he? Um, 
Is it like the Ephesians six armor? Do you see any of the uh, the breastplate? Or... I, I saw I saw a breastplate and a helmet. Yes, he was he was dressed in full regalia. Wow, what about uh, the sword? It was a, a a regular long broad sword. Amazing. It, it, it was sheathed, so I, I I assume, but there was no curvature because I I'm into that stuff. I wanted to be an archaeologist, so I, I look at details a lot. And uh, man, that is amazing. Uh, listen, I need to dispel a rumor. Now, I don't know if this is true or not what I heard, but uh, you would have had to have been a part of it because you would have interpreted. Were you and your grandfather one time um, invited to speak at a Mormon church? It wasn't a Mormon church. Uh, you're not allowed to preach in the Mormon temple. Uh, but we did have a few meetings that were set up by somebody. And, uh, okay, this, the way this went down was somebody called and said they wanted to set up some meetings. Uh, yes. My mother, my mother, who barely spoke English, was our meeting coordinator. And uh, my mother, you know, in her broken English, asked, what, what church you would? And the guy said, we're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes. Uh, my mother had no idea who that was, and so uh, she penned them in. Uh, well, uh, two weeks before we were supposed to go, they called again, uh, and I asked them again what church they were with, and they said they were Mormons. And for an entire week, my grandpa fasted and prayed whether we should go or not. Yes. And, and, and God told them, go, I want to work through you. Well, they set up meetings in like college auditoriums uh, and, and things like that. And, I mean, every single place we went to was packed. Uh, apparently, Praise God. In the, book of, in the Book of Mormon, there is a man that comes from another country, uh, preaches repentance and judgment, and goes back to his own country. And so a lot of these people believed that my grandpa was this man. Well, the, you know, my grandpa got up and preached the truth. And yes. the truth is, there is only one way, and his name is Christ. Uh, and there, there was an instance in Provo, Utah, where they actually saw an angel coming down behind Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Right. Yes. What happened that, there? That, uh, well, my, my grandpa started out really sternly. Uh, he, he said that... Uh, the Book of Mormon was not the Gospel of Christ. There is only one Gospel of Christ. Amen. And I, I was expecting people to either jump up and get out or, uh, you know, become violent. Uh, we were in, in, in the middle of Mormon country, uh, and instead they, some of them, you know, started shouting hallelujah. Others just sat there and, and were wide-eyed. And it was at the end of the meeting that somebody told us they saw an angel of God coming down behind me and my grandpa, and that's why they were shouting hallelujah. Yeah, I'd and heard yeah, that. I we had we had people that that I mean for months and months wrote us. Uh, they had come out. Uh, they had gotten baptized. Uh, they were attending uh, you know Pentecostal churches. They wanted to know more about the power of God, and so uh, it was fruitful. Man, praise God! Yeah, I'd heard that uh, the angel appeared on the stage, and I said, well, "Wait a minute, let me ask Mike because you would have had to have been there to confirm that." Uh, man, that's yes, praise God. That's awesome. Um, what a testimony, man. What does it take for someone to uh, get close enough to the Lord that um, maybe they would be able to see an angel or uh, have dreams and visions? It's just—is it a walk of holiness? Uh, it, it's when, when it comes to that, it's, it's God choosing the vessel. Okay. Uh, I, I don't—I don't get close to God or, or strive for righteousness so that I see visions or see angels or that I have dreams. I do it because it's what God desires and requires of me. Now, if God calls me calls me into a certain service or calls you into a certain service, then then He will begin to show you. Uh, you know, yes. I I never I never desired 
I, I saw my grandfather's life, okay? I saw the things he suffered throughout his life. He was arthritic. He had gout. He was in pain all the time. Sometimes I had to carry him from the car to the hotel room. Uh, it, it was just a life of constant pain and, and constant struggle. And every time I'd ask him, why doesn't God heal you? His answer would be, because God's keeping me humble. And I, I have the same exact afflictions that he had. And there are moments and times when it's really bad that I can't even get out of bed. Uh, my wife has to take care of me. And so, you know, don't ask for something just because it sounds really great. There are certain things that come along with it uh, that do make it uh, a labor, that do make it a burden sometimes, that make it very difficult, that make you want to say, God, find somebody else. But if God calls you to it, God will give you the strength to persevere in it. Man, praise God to that. Uh, amen. Uh, people, a lot of people say, I want to be a prophet. Well, look at uh, the afflictions that they had to endure. They had heads chopped off. They were sawed in half. Look at Jeremiah, the way he was tortured. Folks, it's uh, it's probably not something that you, <laughs> you want. You better be sure uh, you know what you're asking for, but um, praise God, I, brother. Look, I, I, I think... If our hearts are sincere, then our only desire, Lord, I want to be used by you. Lord, I want yes. to be in your service. I'm not, if, if, if God's the master, then I'm not going to dictate to the master where to use the vessel. He comes, he picks Amen. up the vessel, he fills it with something, and that's what the master of the house does. Yes. I can't dictate to him, you know, I, I, I want to, if I don't, you know, carry wine, I don't want to carry anything. No, I'm a vessel, that's it. He can yes. just as easily put me down and pick up another one as continue to use me. I am here at his pleasure and at his discretion. This is this is the hardship that we need to have. And it's then that God will begin to use us. If we begin to dictate terms, you know, Lord, unless uh, you grow my ministry to such and such, and unless uh, people know my name, uh, you know, throughout the world, and, and I'm sorry I don't have the time. It doesn't work that way. God calls you into service. You serve. Amen, and I, I believe that's one of the distinctions between a real and a, uh, a false ministry is, um, you know, are they calling the ministry by their name to get glory for themselves, or are they not interested in that? They're just looking to serve Christ, and it's not about them, but it's about helping others and doing the work of the Lord. That's what I like about Hand of Help Ministry. Um, praise God. Um, I know I had uh, another question for you. Michael, um, give out your contact information. If there's someone out there listening that uh, would like to have you come out and speak, uh, that the Lord's put a burden on their heart to uh, get involved with the uh, the Romanian orphanage, um, how can they contact you? Well, uh, first is the website, handofhelp.com. If they are uh, technologically challenged like I am, then uh, <laughs> they can uh, write to 1012 South 3rd Street, uh, Watertown, Wisconsin, 53094. That is our office address here. Uh, our phone number, and there's nobody here at night, so don't call now because I'm on the phone and it'll ring. And, and yeah, is 920-206-9910. So tomorrow between 9 and 5, either I'll be here or somebody will be in the office, and if you want to call, you may. Michael, uh, where are you headquartered at? Are you in Wisconsin or Milwaukee? Uh, we are well. Milwaukee is in Wisconsin. Excuse me. Uh, duh. <laughs> uh, we are uh, in Watertown, Wisconsin. Is our head office? Our financial office is in Texas. Uh, 
the reason we do that is because, like uh, the Apostle said, are, are we going to study the Word of God or are we going to serve tables? Let's find somebody else to serve tables. So uh, we have an independent bookkeeper. Uh, she takes care of all the books. She takes care of all the finances. Uh, nobody touches it. We're clean before God and man. Uh, we have independent audits periodically because I, I, that, that is one of those things with me. You know, since Grandpa began the ministry, so always this, he hammered this into our heads, me and my mom and my brothers and everybody. It's God's money. Be responsible with it. Be frugal with it. And let people know what you're doing with it. And, and that's what we've always done. You know, I, I, I want to be above board with everything. I want my hands to be clean because, God forbid, I was in this for anything else except his glory, then it's pointless. Amen to that, brother. And, again, that's another litmus test for ministry people. Um, do they have full disclosure? A lot of these ministries, you'll never be allowed to look at their books because there's something to hide that they're, they don't want you to see. And that's not the, the way um, Hand of Help operates. Um, it's a true ministry out there. And again, brother, y'all are a standard, uh, a benchmark for me in so many ways. Uh, we've got people writing in from the uh, chat room saying, uh, what a great show. Tell Brother Michael, thank you for us. And um, in the six minutes remaining, let me ask you, Mike, uh, when you have seen some of the angels, um, are they there only to give an, a, um, an instruction or a word, or do you ever have the opportunity to ask a question back? They are messengers. That 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 is the purpose of the angelic, is to be messengers. Uh, sometimes when I don't understand something, I, I ask a question, they give an answer. Sometimes they ask a question and I give an answer. Uh, so it, it, there is back and forth, but angels are messengers. Uh, that's, that's their duty. That's their function, and they perform it faithfully just as we ought to perform our own duties. Do they tend to um, come at a certain time of the day or evening? Or are we hours in the morning or any time? It's, it's mostly in my sleep. Uh, I, I dream a lot. And uh, that's, that's most often when it happens. Sometimes when I'm in prayer, uh, when I'm agonizing over something, uh, the angel appears. And uh, look, I, it, it hasn't been an easy life. <laughs> Let me put it that way. My grandfather passed away in 97. My mother passed away a few years ago. Uh, I'm constantly away from my wife. Uh, it's 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 hard, and sometimes I agonize with God. I I, I weep and I pray, and I said, "Look, I I just I just need you to strengthen me. I just need you to comfort me," and and that's when uh, the angel appears and he does it. It's it, it's that kind of relationship. It's a hardship, um, I know, brother. It's a, it's a it's a real sacrifice. But you know what? That's what God has called us to do, folks. Is uh, to be willing to forsake all for Him and. There's going to be a heavenly reward waiting for you, brother. I have no doubt about it. Let me ask you in the four minutes remaining, um, a lot of people, including myself, are seeing numbers. Uh, I don't know what it's all about, Mike, but about five, six months ago, I started to see 333. And it's uh, I'm seeing that in frequency with 911. What do I mean by that? Uh, I'll look at my laptop uh, clock. It'll be my other clock here on the desk. Going down the road, I'll look at the dashboard clock. Uh, is that from God or is that from Satan? Is there any significance to seeing a number over and over again? Well, my advice would be fleece God. Uh, get before God, take a few days of fasting and prayer, and say, Lord, if this is from you, this is my fleece. I, there's nothing wrong with fleecing God. I, it's, 
it's biblical practice. You know, uh, if 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 we doubt that a message is from him, then we pray until he confirms that it's from him. Uh, as far as numbers, I haven't been seeing numbers, but I think that we're very close to something very tragic in this country. This I've been feeling this. I haven't received any revelation, but every morning I wake up and and there's just a ball in my gut, and and something very bad is on its way, and uh, it's 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 not going to be pretty. And I would like to direct people to handofhelp.com website. You can read the visions of Brother Duderman and Michael. Michael, you received a very powerful vision. Uh, we don't have time left to go into the whole detail, but uh, you were given a word of warning after 911, weren't you? Of more yes, attacks that I, were coming. Yes, I was, and and I think that time is upon us. One one of the things, and and I know we're almost out of time, but I need I need to get this out because yes, it's one it's it's one of the litmus tests. One of the things that you know a message is from God is that he gives it far enough in advance where man hasn't guessed at it. You know, my grandpa received the thing about America in 1984 when, you know, internal strife and chaos and civil unrest was unheard of. When Russia, you know, was what it was and then it split up and now it is what it is again. You know, the, the birth of Christ was prophesied 400 years in advance. You know, yes. me having a gut feeling and saying it's a prophecy is not a prophecy. When God speaks a word, it's far enough in advance where you know that it was God-breathed and that there could be no doubt about it. Man, amen to that. Uh, praise God. And what would be an example of fleecing the Lord? How could you do a fleece? Well, look look at how Gideon did it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not telling you to buy this, but, but, but look, you, 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 you look for something that you know only God can do. Uh, you know, not not for your own profit or benefit. Don't go, oh, Lord, if it's from you, let me win the lottery, because God doesn't do that kind of stuff. But, Lord, if it's from you, let me meet this person uh, on this day, or let somebody call and say this to me. You know, some something that you know that God will compel someone else to do or God will do supernaturally. Uh, I, I fleece God on many occasions. Sometimes I do it through the Word of God. Uh, Lord, if it's from you, I'm going to open my Bible, and, and by reading this verse, I will know that it's from you. And and you read a verse that you know I have spoken and you have heard and you're like all right Lord hallelujah, and that's that's the way it works. Praise God, uh, folks! You've been listening to uh, Mega Man Radio. Special guest today has been Michael Boldea, Chairman of Hand of Help Ministries. Mike, give out your website and contact phone number, please. <laughs> it is www.handofhelp.com, uh, and the phone number. Is nine two zero two zero six nine nine one zero. One final question. Uh, question comes in: Do angels have senses of humor? Do, do you ever see one laughing, <laughs> or are they very uh, I've serious? Seen, I've seen one crying. Oh. I've never seen one laughing, but I've seen one crying. Wow! Praise God. Uh, would you close in prayer, brother? Surely. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this time together. Uh, may. It speak to our hearts. May it point the way to you. May it birth a new desire for you in our lives. May all things bring glory to your name. May our actions, may our words, may our desires, and may our purpose bring glory to you. For you are all in all. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Folks, check out handofhelp.com. I recommend the book, Through the Fire Without Burning. And all the materials up on Hand of Help website. Brother, I love and appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Not a problem. God bless you.
God bless you, Michael. That was Michael Boldea, Hand of Help Ministries. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Michael, for taking three hours with us tonight. May the Lord richly bless you and keep you. And uh, folks, get behind Hand of Help Ministries. It's a true ministry, a true work of the Lord, and uh, you'll be blessed when you bless others, uh, like the widows and the orphans and those in disaster in the nation of Israel. Um, Again, thank you for tuning in tonight. If you did not get to catch this program in its entirety, it will be up on the MP3 archive shortly. Uh, God bless you until next program. You've been listening to Omega Man Radio. Thank you for listening to Omega Man Radio. Our mission is to operate in the threefold ministry of Jesus Christ and take evangelism, deliverance from demons, and miracle healing to the world. If you would like to partner with us, you can support this work by donating any amount online at OmegaManRadio.com. Join us in an all-out attack against the hosts of hell. It's time to deliver a death blow to the enemy and take back territory for Jesus. Tell a friend and support Omega Man Radio. Radio.